Who's ready for a middle-of-the-week edition of the Robert Yadbell Show? Well, you are. That's why you're here, or about to be here. Well, then you wouldn't have heard me say what I just said. Ari Witten is scheduled uh, for hour one to rejoin us uh, about breathing and energy. What's the relationship? Deep, deep breathing. Not, what would we call it? Remember when you did that? You breathed into a bag and then just passed out? That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> so That's coming up. Hour two, our buddy Ty Bollinger is back to go outside the box. What is it, Super Don? Why are you here? It's the preview of the show. Why would you join me at that point in time? <laughs> When you breathed into a bag and passed out? <laughs> That's not what, that what you used about. to about. Is that I what just, you used to do for fun when you were a kid or something? I just have a vague memory of that. Maybe once. I don't know. But it's just not <laughs> what we're talking about today. So why? Leave me alone. We got a show to do. Are you ready? Let's go outside the box with Ty Bollinger an hour or two and uh, have some great garden picks from both Super D and me and TMB. This is the place. Tell everybody. RobertScatBell.com slash listen. <gasps> Just breathe, but don't pass out. See you in a moment. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. Stick around if you want to see great giggly wiggly garden pictures from Super Don and me and Ty Bollinger. That's coming up. I didn't. I didn't prompt uh, Ari Witten to show us his garden picks, so if he doesn't have any, it's okay. But we're going to talk breathing. Uh, I'm just being silly. I must have really oxygenated before the show because I'm just la- laughing sillily, and I, I haven't sucked helium or anything weird like that, I promise. I <laughs> just got a good workout. Endorphins are flowing, and I'm even making Super Don look at me squarely-eyed. So you know it's going to be an interesting show. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. I'm glad you're here. I hope you find reason to giggle in the midst of crazy stuff going on out there in the world. Uh, robertscatbell.com slash listen for the chat room, live in the chat room. Howdy, everybody. We'll check in on you if you have questions or comments as well. Uh, also, there is a question later we may get to. I'm going to try. Uh, somebody was asking about a holistically inclined or integrative type practitioner in Chattanooga, Tennessee, or North Georgia, up to 75 corridor. So if anybody out there knows of one and you want to submit, I've got some ideas. I'll, I'll get to that a little bit later. But we're going to open with a story, and it's all linked in the show notes at robertscabell.com, and you would have advanced access to it by texting RSB to 22828, and you'll get plugged into the newsletter each day that Super Don sends it. And this first article today is from the Brownstone Institute. Michael Sanger's reporting uh, his headline, New York Times Goes to War Against Parents. And I don't know when the leftist collectivists are going to figure this out. The more they attack parents because they want to protect their children in a way that the intellectual collectivist medical reductionist pharmaceutical worshiping left wants them to, the more they're going to alienate those very parents. They're not going to be drawing more of those parents in. In fact, they're losing them by the day. And that's the story here from the New York times. According to this article, uh, the author, uh, let's see, it's uh, Shira Frankel penned what may be the publication's most embarrassing article today. And there's a lot of embarrassing articles from the New York Times, uh, according to Michael Singer. Uh, Let's see what she says to give us this moment for pause and great disappointment in the intellectual hoity-toity New York Times leftist. Almost everyone in the crowd of more than three dozen was a parent. And as they protested on a recent Friday in the Bay Area suburb of Orinda, California, they had the same refrain. They were there for the children. Their children. Gosh, yeah, that's a bad thing. You don't want parents coming together for their children, right? New York Times. Now it goes on. Most had never been to a political rally before, but 
after seeing their children isolated and despondent early in the coronavirus pandemic, they despaired, they said. On Facebook, they found other worried parents who sympathized with them. They shared notes and online articles, many of them misleading, <gasps> about the reopening of schools and the efficacy of vaccines and masks. Soon, those issues crowded out other concerns. I'm like, all right, so far, maybe I'm adding some emotion and histrionics to it, but I think as you read where this is going, you'll understand why I'm reading it the way I'm reading it. Basically, if you're a parent and you have instincts to protect your child and you see things that you perceive are threatening your child, does that mean you are joining some kind of QAnon-style anti-vaccine cult? Because that's what it sounds like where this is going. So this Mrs. Longnecker and her fellow objectors are part of a potentially destabilizing new movement, according to the New York Times. Parents who joined the anti-vaccine and anti-mask cause during the pandemic, narrowing their political beliefs to a single-minded obsession over those issues. Oh, you mean like those that are freaking out because the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade? That kind of single-mindedness? Oh, you're okay with that? Oh, oh, well, never mind. They're thinking hard, and I continue now, even as COVID-19 restrictions and mandates were eased and lifted, cementing in some cases into a skepticism of <gasps> all vaccines. And I might add, it's about dang time, if that's really true. Final paragraph I want to read here before I open it up, and I know Super Don wants to chime in too. Nearly half of Americans oppose masking, and a similar share is against vaccine mandates for school children, according to the polls. But what is obscured in those numbers is the intensity with which some parents have embraced these views. Here's the kicker. While they once described themselves as Republicans or Democrats, they now identify as independents who plan to vote based solely on vaccine policies. Oh my gosh. Again, single issue voters that not claiming to be Democrats or Republicans. How are we going to keep this Hegelian dialectic going? And they're going to hate one another. Now they're coming together in that massive middle, middle ground of like, you know what? We may agree, disagree on a lot of stuff, but on this, we're like, we don't like the mandates. We don't want them to force our kids to get these things. We don't want them. And that's that. I'm not a Democrat anymore. I'm not a Republican anymore. I'm going to vote based on what they believe and perceive is their support or their non-support of our parental rights to decide for our own bodies and our children's bodies. And I said that about yesterday, the, 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 the absurdity of public health. It's an oxymoron. It's a legal fiction. And it really is an excuse that big government and the pharmaceutical industrial complex use to claim ownership over our bodies and the bodies of our children. And people are now seeing through it. Finally, after all these years, only 23 years on radio, I've been saying this and longer as a homeopath. But the water's warm. There are no vaccines mandated here. And I'm glad you're here. And Super Don, you are just like up in arms over the ridiculousness of this New York Times article as well, or opinion piece. This author must have yeah. gotten a really good grade in creative writing in college. <laughs> uh, yes. The the melodrama, mm -hmm. I mean, of, the way that described these parents and this cabal of QAnon's conspiracy yeah. theorists of the cult of the whatever. It's like, shut up. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. Really? I Amazing. mean, this, this is why they work for the New York Times. But mm -hmm. in any case, um, the, the, the part that I thought was the best mm -hmm. was how she, th this author was astonished 
that these people, they, they left the Democrat or the Republican Party and became independent. Oh, my goodness. I know, I know. That's oh, what a terrible thing to do. You mean they decided to vote on an issue rather than a party line? Wow, I know. Oh, no, we can't have that happen. My gosh, how, what are we going to do? <laughs> well, they, they lack the ability to control the independents. Well, and, and, yeah, so, and you know what? Every time there's an election, I mean, there's one, I think some happened yesterday. So there, there were some, some primaries you know, uh, and things, primaries and stuff. We got the midterms coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, anytime you, if you ever watch the results of, you know, the, the coming in on these things like that, they always talk about how the independent vote is what's going to swing. Right. One way or the other. Yeah. One way or the other direction. You know, the independents are a huge voting block in this country. So, so if, the, if the Democrats want those people back, do you think that they might just listen to what their concern is? That uh, you know what I think they should do. I think what they should do is they should, like you said, they should start attacking the parents because that's worked so well so in the well, past. Yes, yeah. So well in the past. You know the reason why you've got so many parents and 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 educators and professionals, uh, professors, mm-hmm. politicians, doctors that are all now a part of the quote anti-vaccine movement is because mm-hmm. they did that. You know, know, it used to be, there were some tree-hugging hippies eating granola. Those were the people that were the anti-vaccine people, right, Mm -hmm. at one time. And then they decided, hey, you know what, let's start harassing the moms and calling them names. We'll make jokes about them on late-night TV, you know. And and all of a sudden, it's like everybody came out of the woodwork because they jumped the shark. Yeah. They did. And people saw it for what it was, and that's why today you see the Mm -hmm. movement that you do. Yeah, this New York so, Times Looney Tune. I mean, she's just like apoplectic over November's midterms because <laughs> these parents are not going to vote the way that that we want them to vote, and they're going to align with the Republicans because, hey, say what you want about Republicans, but right now they're on the side of no mandates, and that's a huge dude, step right there. The, the, it, it's so weird. It's yeah. so weird to look at how the two parties have reversed them. They flopped. Yeah, I mean the the conservative. The, the Republicans now are like the party of the, of the little guy, right? The blue-collar worker mm-hmm. and the Hispanic vote. I mean, it's just like, what happened? It's like we got transported to some alternate universe um, because they, they've completely switched sides now. And, it's, it's a, man, it's an interesting time to be alive for sure. Yeah. Well, like I said, just keep breathing, my friends, because, uh, well, life continues. And, and I know that at times we look and we say, ah, oh, man, I don't like what I see there. But at the same time, the greatest things that have happened to me in my life are when I was struggling the most or, or challenged the most. And it's not like, I, you know, I, I'm thrilled when I see somebody suffering or in an in a extreme challenge, but I recognize that's part of life. And we've talked about that from a parental perspective as well. When you see your kids, if you give them everything and never let them be challenged, never let them get a cut or a scrape or a bruise, they are going to wake up one day as adults and go, I'm not functional. I can't, I can't. I can't compete in a world that requires a bit more than just here. Here's everything you ever wanted and needed. And it's just handed to you. That never works. Well, just like the story of the emperor moth or any of the, the moths, if you break their chrysalis before they break out through their own strengthening process, they will not live a long and happy life as a moth, much less a butterfly. And so those are concepts of how do we, I guess, come back to that. How do we breathe through the challenges? How do we take those breaths and have the energy to maintain ourselves in the midst of challenges that seem overwhelming, especially if we focus all of our attention out there 
in you know the body politic and the mainstream media and news. And even though we have to cover those stories just to get a perspective on what's happening in our, I guess, culturally, politically, et cetera, recognize that the, the mission here is to bring the power to heal back to you where it belongs, where it's always existed. And it's still, even if you don't believe it exists there, it does, but you kind of give up on that belief. So you live according to being a victim of somebody else's ability to pick you up or do it for you or give you what you think you need to do what you need to do. And again, that, that's a, a spiritually immature outlook too, ultimately. And that doesn't mean I'm opposed to genuine charity. I've never been opposed to that. But theft by taking is force. It's a violation of the fundamental eight. Anybody remember, thou shalt not steal, that concept. I remember the uh, Ron Paul uh, thing on his uh, desk. It was a little thing. It said, don't steal. The government hates competition. And I've said this as well. Many people are learning to steal because of what they've observed in government or perceived. In reality, perception becomes reality. It's like when you, at the end of the year, you find out, you thought you were getting paid this, but it turns out you were getting paid that and the government took the rest. Well, it was what the government allowed you to keep. And that's a, that's not a great place to be. And many people wake up and go, that's wrong. That doesn't feel right. There's something wrong about that. Something not voluntarily, uh, voluntary about that. But we'll get into, uh, you know, issues like that from time to time as well. Big concept. Yes. But how do they relate to you personally? And how does it impact you as you move forward on this planet at this time? Because you were made for a time such as this or times such as these. How about Eating for Energy? Ari Witten's book called Eat for Energy is out. We've got it linked up in the show notes, and there's a couple of big events coming up and ongoing events, in fact. Uh, tomorrow, there's going to be another Ari Witten event online, a virtual live event, how to dramatically increase your energy and squash anxiety in just 10 minutes a day. Ari's back by popular demand. Or maybe I'm hyperventilating, and I just wanted him back so he he'd get me to stop. <laughs> Let's welcome back to the Robert Scott Bell show. Ari Witten. Hey, Ari. Hey, Robert. Thanks so much for having me back on. It's always a pleasure. It's good to see you. I'm always annoyed when I see that beard of yours. Cause I can't, <laughs> I just can't do it. I can't do it. So really, anyway, no, no, I'm teasing. It's great to see you. Uh, if, you if it makes you feel any better, mine's starting to go white. Oh, okay. It's a, a little bit, just a little bit. But then again, you know, I've heard the ladies actually like that. They're like, Hey, they uh, like a little gray in the beard. So that's good. Indeed, that indeed. Maturation. So uh, are you still <laughs> hanging out in the, the jungles of South America, Central America? Where are you today? Uh, I'm in San Diego at the moment. Oh, okay. Low humidity for you. So you can wear that beard, not sweat. Good, good on you. <laughs> that's right. Excellent. That's right. So what have you been up to since we last had you on the air? Just, just breathing? Uh, yeah, just breathing. Well, I've been traveling a lot, uh, with my kids and, um, surfing a lot and oh, just, yeah, really, really trying to enjoy life during this childhood that I, you know, childhood time I have with my kids. Nice. That's beautiful. And that's part of the message here in that we cover some real issues that are seemingly global in, 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 in their impact. Yet at the same time, we often can forget the things you're talking about and doing finding time to have joy. And in gratitude for the life we lead, despite all of that, right? That's often a distraction, even though we know that certain things will impact us and it's not wrong to want to make changes for the better. But at the same time, in the midst of those things, we've got to make time and find time to slow down and just breathe like you're teaching folks. And we had a lot of folks from the last time you were on join in and say it was awesome. So I wanted to glad to have you back on to talk more about it. Yeah, happy to. It is absolutely a pleasure. So uh, the starting point here, you've got this, uh, uh, I think you do weekly meetings now. And I think even if somebody hasn't attended before, they could just join in on a Thursday meeting, right? That's right. Yeah. I, I'm doing it every week now. 
That is cool. Here it is. Yeah, Superdom put it up. So we're counting down for those of you listening or watching live on August the 3rd. This will happen August the 4th, 2022. A weekly meeting Thursdays, how to dramatically increase your energy and squash anxiety in just 10 minutes a day. And you just got to register for it and you'll probably get an access code to be part of it, I imagine. That's correct. Yes. So how do you... uh how do you communicate the idea that breathing is so much more than just an exchange of oxygen and CO2? Well, you know, I think as an interesting starting point to that discussion is it CO2. There mm -hmm. are so many misconceptions around CO2 itself. You know, we, we are kind of taught to believe we take in oxygen and we get rid of CO2. Now, like CO2 is this sort of waste gas that we're just, it's this. Oh, it's like, been vilified. I mean, it's like, it's going to yeah. kill all life on the planet. I'm looking out back at my garden and like, they're really happy with the CO2 I'm breathing out. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a, certainly a broader discussion to start talking <laughs> about the, the effects on the environment and climate mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And none of that's within my domain of expertise, but um, I can talk about human physiology and yeah. in the context of human physiology, you know, there, there is this simplistic idea of taking in oxygen, breathing out CO2, getting rid of this byproduct, you know, this sort of waste product of uh, what our body's doing with the oxygen. Uh, and in fact, it's not true. So we can start with a, a starting point of just the fact that our body retains a lot of the CO2 that is produced in, in the lungs and in the blood. Now, what I, what I mean by that is this sort of simplistic notion of inhaling oxygen, expelling carbon dioxide. We tend to think, well, our body gets rid of the carbon dioxide, but in fact, it doesn't. It's designed to retain, in fact, most of the carbon dioxide that we produce uh, with each sort of breath and that portion of utilization of, of oxygen. So why why would our body be designed to retain the carbon dioxide well it turns out this carbon dioxide is much more than just a, a waste product that our body's trying to get rid of it actually performs certain vital roles in our body now let's start with something called the bohr effect so the bohr effect is uh, it's named after a physiologist named christian bohr who discovered this i think maybe 100 or 150 years ago is and it, it the guy spelled B-O-H-R. Correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Not like me. I'm a boar, but that's a different kind of boar. <laughs> so basically what's going on here is that it, it turns out that carbon dioxide is critical for the ability of red blood cells to know where to drop oxygen off. Now, um, it might help to, to sort of do a Google image search of the Bohr effect or mm. of sometimes called, sometimes called the CO2 dissociation curve. But the basic idea here is at the lungs, are there's an exchange between what's going on in, in the lungs, the alveoli, these little air sacs in the lungs, and mm. our bloodstream, these capillaries, these tiny little blood vessels that are passing by filled with red blood cells. Now, what needs to happen at that point is those red blood cells need to pick up oxygen that we've just inhaled into our lungs. In order for that to happen, those red blood cells have to be able to bind mm -hmm. onto those oxygen molecules. So they're binding them. There's a strong affinity connecting the oxygen to the hemoglobin molecules on our mm -hmm. red blood cells. 
Okay, so now those hemoglobin molecules on the red blood cells, they're circulating around in our, in our blood, going around in our body, full of oxygen that's very tightly bound to that hemoglobin. Mm -hmm. Okay, how, does the, how do those red blood cells know where to deliver that oxygen? That's or true. When There's, you know how many miles of surface area it's transiting throughout the entire vasculature? Right. Like, yeah, like, yeah. where's the signal? Where's the stop point? Oh, look at that. Superdon found the bore effect. Exactly. We're okay. talking about, oh, this is great. Great visual, Super D. Thank you. Yeah, yeah carry this on, is perfect. This is awesome. So, so um, if I can use this chart to help explain this, what you see in this, um, in the bottom right here, mm -hmm. is basically that as CO2 um, goes down, which is that, that red curve on the top, Mm -hmm. Let me see what, what's going on here in this graph, the way they're illustrating this. Yeah, this isn't okay. yours. Uh, Super D found it. Uh, if it's wrong, yeah. it's his fault, not mine. I'm just yeah. teasing no. Super D. No, it's a, just... good, it's a good one. It's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, as basically as, as uh, CO2 mm -hmm. goes up, the affinity for oxygen to those hemoglobin molecules goes down. Okay. And that is fundamentally how oxygen is disconnects, dissociates from the red blood cell, and mm -hmm. then goes out of the blood into the cells, into the mitochondria where it can be produced, used to produce energy. So are you saying okay. CO2 is a, like a signaling molecule in the sense to where to drop oxygen? Yeah. Ba to, basically it works in a simpler way than uh, as a signaling molecule. Mm -hmm. It it actually works by altering the pH and directly altering the affinity of the oxygen molecule to the hemoglobin, to the red blood cell. We talk about the acidification of blood a lot and carbolic acid is discussed in, in that concept. You know, how does it, how does it go from that gas state to something else in the body that impacts pH that we know that the blood has a very narrow pH range. If it goes too high or too low, it can be deadly, right? So mm -hmm. there's a lot of mechanisms of control here that are well beyond our conscious mind to do. That's right. Yeah. So let's get into that in a second. Let me just uh, wrap this one idea up. So basically the idea here is having adequate levels of carbon dioxide is essential for oxygen to be delivered to your cells. So just imagine for a moment, if you have very high oxygen levels in, in your blood, in your, you know, those oxygen molecules attached to red blood cells, attached to this hemoglobin on the red blood cells, but CO2 levels are very low. Okay. What's going to happen is those red blood cells are essentially just going to course through your arteries and be while still being strongly attached to the hemoglobin molecules on red blood cells, and they won't ever dissociate and be dropped off to cells, like cells like your brain, like your intestines, like your liver, like your muscles, and so on. Um, they won't be dropped off in those locations to be able to be used by those cells to produce energy so that those cells can perform their functions. So having adequate optimal levels mm -hmm. of CO2 is essential in this regard. So that's the first thing we need to understand is CO2 is not just a waste product. Our body is intentionally designed to retain a large portion mm -hmm. of that CO2 to keep CO2 levels optimal, to make sure that 
It's altering the affinity of oxygen to red blood cells appropriately, such that we're delivering oxygen to our cells. Now, the last thing I'll, I'll say on this is mm -hmm. there's a widespread misconception um, that sometimes our bodies, you know, don't have enough oxygen. And people will say, you know, oh, let's do some deep breathing to oxygenate our bodies and this sort mm -hmm. of thing. Well, in fact, you're, you're, the body's pretty much always got adequate levels of oxygen, unless you've got some kind of disease that's altering, you know, the, the oxygen carrying hemoglobin on your red blood cells, or you've got sickle cell anemia or something like that. We've talked um, about the depletion of key minerals. You know, I mentioned copper a lot because so much of the focus has been on zinc and vitamin C and it wipes out copper stores. And without copper, you can't use the iron for the, for its oxygen carrying capacity in the blood and the hemoglobin. So we know there are mineral issues associated with this as well. That's right. And Morley Robbins talks a lot about that yeah. as well. Um, so the issue, my, my point here, here is that the idea that we can, you know, breathe heavily to oxygenate our bodies more is actually mm -hmm. a misconception. And in fact, what it really does is lower your CO2 levels to hyperventilate, which actually hinders oxygen delivery to the cell. So, so you're, you're, because I was, I was joking about that, Ari, as I was opening the show, just kind of teasing where we're going and remembering yeah. as a kid, hyperventilating and passing out, like, wait yeah. a second, if you're hyper, should be so much oxygen, you wouldn't pass out. It's like, there's something else going on here that doesn't necessarily make sense. Yes. Regard. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So what we really want to do, if we want to oxygenate ourselves is not to breathe more heavily. It's mm -hmm. to optimize CO2 levels to enhance oxygen delivery to our cells. That's the key. And mm -hmm. um, what, I won't go into all the details yet of, of why this happens, but uh, basically most people's breathing is mm -hmm. non-optimal. Most people are mm -hmm. um, hyperventilating, for lack of a, a better word. They're, they're breathing excessively. A better mm -hmm. word is actually over-breathing. Are they, and, are they uh, compensating or overcompensating for something else that's not happening properly in the body? And I think about this too, in the last couple of years, all those, uh, pro masking, uh, you know, cultists and, and it's mm -hmm. like, man, they want to restrict the flow of air, whether you say CO2 oxygen exchange or beyond that, even we get into microbial issues potentially as well on a mask, but so much of what we've heard in the last couple of years does relate to what they claim to be oxygenation issues because blood oxygen saturation levels have become common part of the vernacular when most lay people didn't ever hear about blood oxygen sat levels. And yes. over, yeah, so so this is, a, again, a fascinating discussion because a lot of the focus has been on this, but I don't think many or any people are talking like you are about this issue. Yes. Now, to talk about masks specifically, I, I'm really not a fan of masks for a, a variety of reasons. Um, number one is that they, they clearly don't work. We have large volumes of data. You know, um, Ian Miller has written a great book. He's been compiling data on this for two years, doing uh, comparisons between different uh, countries, different counties within or, or states within different countries, um, doing, you know, comparing L.A. versus Orange County, which have you know, which are right next to each other, but have very different mask policies. I mean, he's been literally compiling this data nonstop for two years, showing the visuals. And it is very, very, very obvious to anybody who's willing to look at the data that masks have had no discernible effect on reducing cases or stopping the spread. You know, we had these ideas that it was going to, people claimed that it was going to reduce 
the the spread by 80%. Masks were 80% effective yeah. uh, in reducing the spread. The, this, the director of the CDC came out at one point and said, if we all wore masks for four to six weeks, we'd drive this virus into the ground. All of those claims have been proven utterly false. And yeah. it is absolutely clear. Now, I'll, just on a in terms of personal health, I agree there's m microbial concerns. There's more and more data that comes out all the time about different bacterial species and fungi. And yeah, you um, give it an environment that's different than your normal, healthy, balanced environment. And then things change. And we talk, talk about pleomorphism. Microbes yeah. can express DNA that was just dormant, hanging out. And it goes, all right, let's do this now because you've given us this environment. And that's true also with a lot of the pH discussions of health, whether it be blood related or other body uh, fluid related issues that when you alter pH, you alter what grows there as well. And so exactly. what, what yes. where are we, how are we going for optimum, optimum health and vitality and how does breathing play a role in all of this? Cause we, you know, we talk about food and water, basic things like that. People can understand, but as you point out, there's a lot of misunderstandings about this concept of breathing and how to breathe, you know, whether it be nose breathing, mouth breathing, and exercise, how do you do it? And, and, it, and as you've already described a little bit more than just CO2, O2 exchange. And that's part of the, the brilliance that you're bringing to this mix and why I want people to join you on your little online webinars, because it's really empowering. Absolutely. Yeah. There, there's a lot there. Um, I I'd love to talk about pH. Mm -hmm. Uh, so let me, just one last thought I have on masks that my, sure. my biggest concern with them is actually for the sake of children mm -hmm. and social learning and blocking facial expressions. Um, you know, without getting too detailed on that, you know, there's a, there's just a lot of layers to this story of why I think yeah. masks are not optimal, particularly in the context of having the data showing they don't work. Now mm -hmm. it becomes a case of, you know, when you rang risk benefits and yeah. the benefit side of the equation has been proven to be close to non-existent, uh, now it becomes a, a, a case of purely risks, purely downsides. Well, yeah, social so, development, neurological development. I would even say spiritual uh, perspectives on our existence when we are wearing masks. And I think about it too. You know, it's one of those things. If we were meant to, <laughs> if we were meant to, you know, let's say filter all of our breathing by covering our mouth with fabric, don't you think we would have been created with some kind of flap that would just come on over? We could breathe through it and it would filter it out. Of course, the sinus cavity uh, is is for that except for us mouth breathers, right? But, but the idea of running it through the sinus cavity is also part of that process. Uh, but the Absolutely. idea that we would artificially reduce the flow of this, and I, I go deeper than, than the oxygen CO2 as well. I always like looking at some of the Eastern concepts of the prana or the life force, the vital force coming in through the breath. And I think even if we go biblical, we talk about you know, the, the, the breath of life, if you will, at that moment, there's something special that happens. And I know it, it's way more than just the exchange of gases. And that gets for some people a little too esoteric, but I think we can't dis, uh, disconnect ourselves from those realities that the vital force, which is an unseen force, but you know it when you don't have it and vice versa, you know it when it's flowing through you is as important or perhaps more important than all of our chemical discussions, even of pH, but they're important I think for our minds to understand and get a grasp on how these things, for those that are interested, fit together. So you'll be inclined to go, you know what, I'm going to commit to doing something a little bit differently in terms of breathing. And I'm going to sign up and, and work with Ari Witten on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, there, there's many spiritual traditions that have talked about the breath. Mm -hmm. um, there's a there's a nice expression from a Qigong master who said something to the effect of 
the first level of breathing is to breathe so softly that others can't hear you breathing. Mm. And the second level is to breathe so softly that you can't hear yourself breathing. And the third is to breathe so softly that you can't feel yourself breathing. Mm. So um, what this what this tells us is actually something counterintuitive that relates to what I was getting at earlier, which is that we, we have a mistaken assumption that breathing more, breathing harder, breathing faster is oxygenating our bodies, when mm -hmm. in fact, optimal breathing is actually slow and gentle. Mm -hmm. Now, if, if another way of conceptualizing this is look at a healthy baby while it's sleeping and now look at a 85-year-old person with heart failure and look at how they're breathing. Okay. The, the ease the versus baby, the laborious uh, intensity, you know? Exactly. So if you look at a baby sleeping, mm -hmm. um, you know, I remember when, when my kids were babies, I would sometimes go to check on them. You know, you have this, these fears that like, I haven't heard from them in a while. They've been in the nap room for three hours. Are they still alive? You know, and you go check on them and you watch them for a second. And sometimes it's hard to even see the, the chest moving up and down or the belly moving up and down because it's so slow and so soft. Whereas if you're with somebody who's older and in poor health and poor fitness, how are they breathing? Yeah. Yeah. With even light activity, right? Even just a gentle walk, they're going to be breathing hard. Or the so, people that have gone through what's called COVID that have, you know, beyond explanation to some degree, it's like you are in a desperate state of no matter how hard you breathe, you seemingly can't catch up to what it is your senses is telling you to breathe that hard. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's not the greatest state to be in. Super Don knows he went through that, uh, you know, many months ago now, but gosh, that was brutal to watch and see these people suffering. My recent experience with uh, breathing was uh, about a month or so ago when I went back on the mountain biking and I, you know, my, most of my um, training has been burst training or interval training, intensity, recover, intensity, recover. And, and so this was a slow, but steady climb for about 30 minutes without stopping. And the first time up, I was like, I hit a point about three quarters of the way up. I'm like, I was really sucking wind. As you know, that statement, I was like, this doesn't feel good. I thought I was in shape, but part of it, as I went down and I came back up the second time, it was a slow and steady and ease about it. It was sort of like learning about what I was doing, which was different than the kind of activity I was experiencing. And my body adapted within just one circuit. I thought I found that fascinating mm -hmm. because I knew I had, you know, been working on my ability to push my body and be able to recover fast and do these things, but I hadn't sustained it like that. So it was an interesting experience outside of the realm of a desperate sucking wind because I'm ill versus a, I pushed my body and something didn't adapt here and I'm sucking wind. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it, it's interesting. The adaptation can recur, can occur remarkably fast. Mm -hmm. Um, there are, you know, I went surfing just a little while ago this morning and I got winded, mm. uh, at the beginning, I got what's called caught inside of a, a, a couple large sets of waves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of working hard and a lot of holding your breath. And, yeah. um, I felt exhausted kind of very quickly, but then, uh, the, the, the next time it happened, uh, I actually felt much better. Mm. So, um, what, what's interesting is that the research bears this out. Um, when we look at research on breath holding practices, which I'm a huge advocate for, and we mm -hmm. can talk about what they're actually accomplishing, but, yeah. um, they, it's been shown that within just a couple, two, three breath holds, 
individual breath holds, there is actually an increase in a release uh, of from the spleen of more red blood cells. Hmm. So you literally increase your number of red blood cells um, within a span of, of minutes of doing just a few breath holds. So that's how fast your body is sort of going, oh, we, we have a need here. Let's start adapting to this mm. demand that's being placed on us. It happens within minutes. And there, there are, of course, longer term adaptations so, to that as well. Some people simplify it and call that oxygen deprivation training in a sense, or why athletes, high level athletes will go to higher altitudes where there's less oxygen, but it's got to be something more to it than that. I know that that's a reality too. I'm not dismissing it altogether, but I, I find this again, a fascinating, let's expand the discussion to understand what's really happening here. Yeah. So breath holding practices what are called in what's called intermittent hypoxic training and there's a few different ways of doing this um one one way would be to do prolonged chronic uh hypoxic training which is what you're referring to by going to altitude um oftentimes what athletes do is they they will adopt a live high train low protocol which means that they are sleeping and resting at high altitudes, but then doing their physical training at lower altitudes so that they can push harder. Um, but they're getting simultaneously getting the higher altitude adaptation. So that's a way that's been around for many decades that athletes have used to uh, enhance their, their performance in Olympic events and, and so on. Um, it's well known and well studied. There's also intermittent hypoxic training, and this can be done in fancy ways, like going into a chamber where they lower the oxygen concentration of the room, or it can be done with breath holding practices for free. Um, and, and it can I, also I be that, Ari. I, I'm thinking about my history as a swimmer. Despite a lot of chronic ailments and illnesses in my younger life, I, I found a great uh, joy and escape into water. And it was a low uh, impact type of thing because I had you know issues of joint inflammation uh, in my younger years, didn't know why, of course, this was a later discovery when I became a homeopath to understand the, the body and the minerals and all of that. But I had a natural affinity for breath holding and I could do free diving, you know, and, and for minutes at a time be underwater. And it was so peaceful. I just remember, um, going out to, oh, this is an interesting memory going out to Hawaii and it was, uh, in January I was in Maui and I had a friend who I didn't know, but I, he had a, one of those boats, those tour boats that would take you out snorkeling and scuba diving. And I wasn't a certified scuba diver, but I really liked to free dive anyway. It was more fun for me to not be encumbered in any way, just have some, you know, mask and some fins on to go. And I went underwater and just sat there and listened to the songs of the whales bathe me. That's a great memory I have. Hmm, uh, but beautiful. then years later, you know, in Florida, where I was for many years, I went out to a place called Red Reef off of the coast of Boca Raton, the rat's mouth, as they call it. And I did some free diving that day, all day, up, down, up, down, up, down. And I just had a great time, but I apparently damaged these station tubes in my ears and, and I've never been able to get back in the water and enjoy it the same way anymore. And so I became a land lover. I tease about that, but I took up boxing <laughs> and, and on uh, land activities more than swimming. So I missed that at the same time. I haven't really recovered from that, but the breath holding you describe, it was a great joy to be able to go in there and not be panicked for air and just kind of relax and just watch and observe. It was a fascinating place to be. Yeah, there yeah, there, it's absolutely beautiful the experience that that you shared there and um and there's many am amazing adaptations that the body undergoes in response to this. I mentioned one uh with regards to the red blood cells being produced. 
um, over time, you get a, a more chronic elevation of the red blood cells when you integrate these practices in your daily life. A good chronic, more, by the way. <laughs> e e yeah. Even more profound than that is this is a type of what's called hormetic stress. Hmm. And there are many other types of uh, hormetic stress that fall into this category. Um, exercise, all the different subtypes of exercise fall into this category. Fasting. Uh, and different cycling of nutrients. So temporarily removing certain nutrients like carbohydrates or fats from your diet, um, as well as certain kinds of chemicals, phytonutrients from plants, um, certain kinds of light like ultraviolet light and red and near infrared light, uh, which we get from the sun are hormetic stressors as well. And uh, thermal stress, so heat and cold, like going into a sauna, going into an ice bath, ice bath, these are all types of hormetic stressors. And they have profound effects on our physiology, and they are uh, one of the most powerful, if not arguably the most powerful way to prevent disease and extend longevity that has ever been discovered scientifically. And I would argue breath hold practices are right up there um, hmm. as some of the most powerful forms of hormetic stress. So we're altering the many adaptations. Again, red blood cells, we're altering the physical interface between the lungs and the capillaries so that oxygen and carbon dioxide can be exchanged more efficiently. And we're altering the structural interface between the capillaries and the cells so that oxygen can get in the cell more efficiently. And mitochondria, the energy producers inside of our cells, actually grow bigger and stronger and become uh, more resistant to low oxygen states and better able to use oxygen more mm -hmm. efficiently to produce energy. Um, so we're literally growing our cellular energy generators and we have a whole host of other uh, physiological adaptations to this. Yeah, you said the word I was looking for, adaptations. That's it. Survival of the most adaptable. It's not the fittest. It's about who can adapt and what are the practices that can facilitate that adaptation so it becomes something that you can withstand all kinds of crazy extremes. Not that you want to live in them all the time, but to be able to survive what life throws at you and be, oh, I'm okay. And that's, yes. you know, the fragility of life is when we lose that adaptation capacity. And so through the breathing techniques that you're teaching, and for those that haven't taken Ari's courses online, uh, you, you definitely want to sign up. I, I think at least free initially to sign up. I mean, there are certain things you can go beyond that, but this is a free virtual, a live virtual event on August the 4th. For those of you listening or watching live on the 3rd of August, 2022, it'll happen at 4.30 p.m. Pacific, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. And we have the link in the show notes at robertscoutbell.com. And if you, if you miss this one, of course, sign up because you'll, you'll want to attend another one. But what can you tell people about how much they don't know about breathing that they thought they knew? You know, that when they join in, like, I had no idea. Oh, so much. So let me, let me elaborate on what I was uh, talking about a minute ago. Here's another layer to the story that most people have no idea about. Mm -hmm. um, carbon dioxide ties directly into pH. So it's involved in the regulation of acidity or alkalinity of our blood. Mm -hmm. And there's, that's a really important distinction because our body actually uses carbon dioxide to help manage fluctuations in pH from other causes and keep it in a narrow range. Now, one of the things that's really disruptive to that is processed food, having a poor diet creates an increased acid load, what's called in the scientific literature, P-R-A-L, potential renal acid load. And when you have that higher acid load from what you're eating, guess how the body maintains 
a tight pH range. It has to all, it has to buffer those acids by doing something. And the way that it does that primarily is by lowering the amount of carbon dioxide that's present. Now, what happens if you lower carbon dioxide in your bloodstream? Remember what I told you at the beginning, if carbon dioxide levels are too low, then oxygen delivery to your cells is hindered. So, yeah, this, so we see labored breathing is a symptom of what you're describing. Exactly. So over breathing is largely the result of a few things. One is chronic stress. One is poor fitness, but poor food, poor nutrition is, is a huge driver of chronically low carbon dioxide levels that drive chronic over breathing. It creates this, um, it, it actually alters the normal non-conscious breathing pattern of the person, the way the brain is regulating, yeah. uh, breathing to increase breathing rate and increase breathing volume. And that, that, that is how the, the body maintains a low CO2 and it has to maintain that low CO2 to help buffer the acid load from the diet in many mm -hmm. cases. Well, so, and, and, and Ari, if I may, I know there are a lot of different ways to get there or even see marked improvements, maybe little improvements here and there, but n none of those ways, if we talk supplement wise, and I'm not, I, I supplement, you know, I eat clean, I do all of this and I see improvement. I see improvement in others. But I think you're doing some next level stuff here with, dare I say, breath work. I don't know if that's the right way to describe it, Ari. But yeah, sure it is. It, it's it's a it's added it's adding on to the body of knowledge that we already have that we can address these things nu nutritionally, minerally, homeopathically, and other things. Exercise, all of that. But there are other levels that you're going to, Ari, that very few people that I've ever encountered are going to. This is why I'm excited that we've connected and that I'm getting the Robert Scott Bell Show audience plugged into what you're doing. Absolutely. Yes. So I think the mitochondrial angle and energy, what's going on there in terms of those adaptations I talked about is huge. Mm -hmm. Connecting the pieces of CO2 to chronic overbreathing and how that's chronically hindering oxygen delivery to the cells and is another driver of fatigue. Um, that's a, That's a key layer to this story. And there's also a, a direct interface between CO2 levels and anxiety, between mm -hmm. the brain's perception of stress and fear and anxiety. This is powerful and, uh, and, and not well known by most people. Um, but there's a number of studies on this. There are studies where they literally just take people and ask them to, in, to breathe a uh, mm. gas mi mixture of 5% or 7% uh, CO2. And you rapidly induce extreme anxiety and panic attacks by elevating CO2 levels. Now, how, how can we make sense of everything I've told you? I've, I've told you both that mm. too low of CO2 is harmful. And I've now told you that too high of CO2 uh, can cause fear and anxiety. Right. So here's the way to reconcile this. Our brain establishes a CO2 threshold, uh, a level of CO2 that it's that it is considering to be optimal based on all the sort of demands of, of the environment that I just explained, for example, how poor food intake causes the brain to lower the CO2 set point mm -hmm. so that it can keep um, the, the pH of the blood in the optimal range. Now, um, the problem with that is that when your CO2 threshold or set point is low, you now become hypersensitive to elevations in CO2. So what that means is it takes only small elevations in CO2 to create some of those negative symptoms of anxiety and stress. So what we actually want to do 
is raise our CO2 threshold as much as possible so that, you know, our, what our brain is perceiving to be a normal range mm -hmm. of CO2 is as high as possible. And what, what that does is a few things. One, it allows us to maintain higher levels of CO2, which enhances the Bohr effect and allows for more optimal delivery of oxygen to our cells. Mm -hmm. And it desensitizes our brain to uh, anxiety and stress. It makes us more resilient. It makes us more calm. It decreases anxiety levels. So for people with chronic anxiety, this is absolutely a huge factor. Now, um, how do we do that really effectively? Well, there's a few different types of breathing practices that I teach called air hunger practices. And I've actually partnered with one of the world's foremost breathing experts, Patrick McEwen, to teach his methods of doing that. And then on top of that, I've layered in uh, six levels of training that take you up from 15 second breath holds all the way up to three minutes and beyond breath holds. And that those breath holds, that intermittent hypoxic training is the most effective way to reset and increase your brain's CO2 threshold. So massive, you know, creating all those beneficial adaptations I just described, as well as allowing your CO2 levels to go up and your CO2 threshold to go up. Mm -hmm. Therefore, your anxiety levels going down, your oxygen delivery to your cells is increasing and energy is increasing. So uh, we can modulate these gases yeah. in a way to create widespread benefits to our physiology. Ari, how does this change in our wide variety of folks that are listening in this audience? Some are in anxious states and not in great health because they're tuning in to learn about these things and the others are more optimal but still don't know about some of these breathing techniques to even make it better uh, can you work with people at wherever they're starting or is there a point where i can't touch those folks because it's a little too dangerous to help them in this way or there's no limit to how this can benefit folks yeah it's a great question so um, the way that the program is designed it's called the breathing for energy program and um there are three tracks to the program that I've, I've designed with Patrick McEwen. Um, one is a track for people with sleep issues and sleep apnea issues. One is a track for anxiety and mm -hmm. stress and you know, sort of panic attacks. And the other one is a chronic fatigue syndrome track or chronic fatigue track. Mm -hmm. um, it could also be sort of synonymous with chronically ill, sort of elderly, fragile people. If you've lost your resilience, if you're not healthy, you're not fit, that would be the, the appropriate track for you. Okay. And in that, that track, it's a 12-week it's a track of specific systematic training methods with mm -hmm. breathing, but it actually does not include the intermittent hypoxic training, the breath-holding practices. Right, right. And the reason is exactly what you were getting at with your question, because mm -hmm. those practices are a little too aggressive for people in very, very poor health. But have so, you seen Ari people that started in that very poor health, chronic fatigue state, get to a point where they can actually begin to exercise into those more, as you call them, aggressive states of hypoxic training? 100%. That's what the program is designed for. So basically nice. you first go through the, the track, the 12 week track for chronic fatigue, if that's appropriate for you. And then from there, after you've completed those 12 weeks, you're ready for the general program, which is for people who are already sort of at least moderately well and healthy. Mm -hmm. And then that is uh, an, an eight week training program um, with six levels of mm -hmm. the intermittent hypoxic training built into it again, all the way from 10 to 15 second breath holds all the way up to three minutes and beyond. So um, that is designed to systematically take people who are in fairly poor health and then 
massively ramp up all these adaptations that I've described mm -hmm. um, at the at the mitochondrial level, at the lungs, and um, in terms of altering gases in the brain, altering the CO two. Uh, altering gases in the blood, altering the CO2 threshold in the brain and creating mm -hmm. these widespread uh, physiological effects in all these different systems of the body. And I will say this more than anything else that I teach, this is the single fastest way that I've ever discovered to increase people's energy levels who are dealing with chronic fatigue. So sign up y'all. Uh, look, we got two options here. I, I see uh, super Don put it up before and it's the how. How, to, let's see, the first one is, is that's happening tomorrow, August 4th, for those of you watching on August 3rd, how to dramatically increase your energy and squash anxiety in just 10 minutes a day. You're going to learn a lot, uh, probably more detail than we can do in the, the time we have together, but a very focused discussion of this and that's happening tomorrow. So sign up for free. Then there's another link I have here. It says how it's a free masterclass. It says how to double your energy levels, discover the six step science back blueprint to heal your fatigue and get your energy back. And you can get free access to Ari's three-part energy masterclass training. And uh, so we got two. I don't know if, how they cross over into similarity. But anyway, I want people to have more options, not not fewer options, and get them where they want to go. And, um, you know, learning about breathing properly with you, Ari, is helping a lot of people. Yeah, thank you so much, Robert. I appreciate you having me on, on the show. And um, uh, I hope people benefit from this information. And I have lots more great stuff to share uh, and people just need to sign up for those free webinars. Yeah, we, we got to get you back on and follow up. But uh, for now, how big are the, the waves that you're, you're surfing? Oh, today, uh, probably about seven feet, maybe eight feet on the biggest sets. Dude, I, I, look, I've been out in little waves, like two, three feet, and they feel big to me. So I'm like seven <laughs> feet, eight feet. I'm like running for my life. But maybe I could do better now. I don't know. But I just remember from a distance, it looks beautiful. When you're in it, it's like very intimidating. This wall yeah, of water. Yeah, that's, a, that's the funny thing about yeah. it. You know, most most people who don't have experience in the water might look at waves like today and think, yeah. oh, yeah, nothing. I could, there's lots of people out there. I could, I could be out there. Mm -hmm. And then you take somebody out there who's not experienced yeah. and you let them experience those waves and they're scared for their life. Oh my and it's gosh. like a near-death yeah. experience. Yeah, but the energy in those waves is, is so powerful. And yet it's such an exhilarating feeling when you can harness, if you will, or ride on it. That's a concept. Yeah. I think a, a lot of times I've assessed the, the beauty of surfing and why people get so mesmerized and it becomes part of their very existence. I think it very much mimics the waves from God and the waves going back to God that we would ride, you know, on a spiritual basis level. And I think that's because people that are into surfing, it's like, it's a transformative experience. And the little that I've done, it's like, it is pretty amazing. Yeah, 100%. You know, and the thing with surfing is, uh, unless you live in a, a world-class surf spot, there's a lot of bad days. There's a lot mm. of struggles, yeah. uh, but the thrill, the magic of that, you know, those brief moments of a few seconds, maybe a minute of experience of that connection to yeah. the ocean, the connection to the universe, this energy yeah. that's flowing thousands of miles across the ocean. Mm -hmm. And you're connecting to that is, is magical. And that, that's what keeps you coming back to it. Even you on, want more, uh, you, you know, want so, more so hard times and bad experiences. Right. And folks, if you're not at the point where physically you can do that, I always talk about it in terms of your spiritual connection to all creation and, and breathing of course is a big part of prayerful contemplation, meditative states and other, you know, teachings, whether it be Eastern or Western oriented, even the singing and chanting of sacred words. I talked about the bar mitzvah, everything, all of this is associated with the energy, the flow of energy. And that's what we're talking about. It's more than just oxygen and CO2, but we can explain a lot through that. And Ari, 
you're doing a great job explaining it. I think people are fascinated. I've enjoyed the two times we've had you on the show. I think we'll go for the third if you're up for it sometimes. Yeah, let's do it. I have a lot more to share. Yeah, everybody sign up. Uh, We've got the links to the Energy Blueprint and special uh, connections so you can join for free. And uh, whether you miss this one or you get it, hopefully you do, but there'll be ongoing opportunities. And uh, we always have links either in the newsletter or you'll see banners at robertscatbell.com. Ari Witten, thank you, my brother. I love you. Appreciate you. I can't wait to meet you in person and maybe hit the surf. Hold my hand so I don't like <laughs> freak out forever. But, you know, I kind of know what I'm, I, I'm not cocky about it, but I enjoy, enjoyed the little bit that I have tried. It would be an absolute pleasure. It's always great hanging with you, Robert. All right, Ari. Thanks so much. I appreciate you. And, and by the way, for those of you that, you know, it's a big step to learn about breathing. It's like learning something new, even though it's something you've done since you were born and you will do when, when your body expires. There's so much more than uh, the unconscious aspects of, of, of life and becoming conscious of them can be so profoundly important in navigating your present and your future. Uh, I know the past is something that's uh, all right. We won't get into that, but let's let's make some shifts now. And by the way, if you want to jumpstart that, I have to say cardio miracle is a miracle in terms of the oxygenation. There's so much more to it than that. But in a lot of the ways we talk about uh, mimicking some of these things or helping yourself get a head start or jump start on that, that cardio miracle has helped facilitate me doing things that I hardly could conceive of in my mid fifties that I could not do as well earlier on in my life when I was chronically ill, not chronically adapted, if you will, in a good sense to stress ores, to oxygen uh, levels, CO2 levels, shifting, et cetera. So uh, fascinating hour. I hope you enjoyed it. RobertScottBell.com slash listen. The chat rooms there. We'll check out if you're commenting or questioning anything and we'll uh, be joined in the second hour of the show with our good buddy, Ty Bollinger. Let me give you a heads up on some things. And um, by the way, we're going to talk gardening and we've got some pictures for you from my garden, from Super Don's garden, from Ty Bollinger's garden. And also for those of you, I, I, I forgot to mention, I guess I mentioned real quick and then we'll take a break. The orange guard. And it was my buddy, Scott Shira, who's a naturopathic, uh, you know, integrative medical guy. And he's got an amazing farm and he's got one area of the farm around the, uh, what do you call it? The, the compost. And, and if you have any compost, if you gather it up in your house too, you know, that can attract the flies and stuff. So he just got the orange guard from his local um, Ace Hardware store. And he, and he actually talked about when he went to the cash register and said, thank you guys for carrying this product. The only product I would buy in your entire pesticide chemical section. So support them or go direct, go to orangeguard.com and get that delimiting safe, safe, safe form of a pest control that will not harm your kids or your pets. And it's safe for use around organic agriculture. It's OMRI certified as well. And I utilize it there in my greenhouse as well. So let's take a moment, a little educational opportunity at the top of the hour. <sighs> Deep breath. I was a little labored. You heard that. But as I was hearing Ari Witten talk, I'm noticing that my breath is very easy and quiet and silent. And it's like a th- something we can strive for and learn about. So check it out back in just a couple of minutes with Ty Bollinger because the power to heal is yours. Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. All right, back at it. Happy time on the Robert Scott Bell Show when we get to talk food and gardens and fresh food. 
on our plates, on Ty Bollinger's plates, on Super Don's plates, or uh, being able to give it away, being so abundant in what you're growing to be able to give away. That's a wonderful thing. Uh, once again, thanks to Ari Witten last hour. Great discussion on breathing. Another thing to consider, hydrogen in your water, facilitating a lot of great, great healthful benefits. Uh, and just, just look into it. All of those things are linked up, of course, in the show notes at robertscabell.com. And you can uh, text RSB to 22828. RSB, my initial 22828, be part of the newsletter and poll questions of the day. I don't even know what they are. Super Don, what is the, is there a poll question today that came out? Cause I'm, I'm kind of out of touch on my own newsletter today. <laughs> uh, there is, it's another one of those getting to know you and what you oh. like internal type of polls. Can we sing it? Getting to know you, getting, getting to know getting to all about, about you. you. Yeah, there we go. Let's bring you. Well, if we bring Ty on, it'll ruin. That would be uh that was sound <laughs> of music, wasn't it? Yeah. I think that was a yeah, sound of music right. reference. Uh, we'll see. Let me, let me see if we can break but it yeah, okay. The poll today was right. Okay. Uh, asking about recipes. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just kind of feeling things out as to whether you know what people like or don't like mm -hmm. or what they want in the newsletter that goes out every morning. Mm -hmm. In addition to the news of the day, um, so I asked, "Hey, would you like to see healthy recipes in the newsletter?" Well, you've delivered today because Ty Bollinger's on. One of the stories relates to Charlene's healthy recipes, cancer prevention, and go such. figure. Huh? So go figure. Who, who, who would have known that Ty and Charlene would produce, like, recipes to, like, prevent bad things from happening to you? Ty, how'd that happen? <laughs> What's up, RSB? It's been a while, hasn't it, man? It has. I know. You've been out and about or ooting a boot, and we're glad to see you. How's everything? Your eyeballs are good and all that? Yeah, eyeballs are good. Um, played a played my first couple of uh, softball games last night with my new glasses. Oh. So I just got the prescriptions in last week, and I see the ball a lot better. So, yeah, it was, it was really nice to be able to see better. Do they look really dorky, though, the glasses? The, well, um, here, I've got one of the pairs right here. I'll sh you can you answer. Tell me if you think they look dorky. All right. No, they're kind of elvish I've seen much worse. I've worn much worse. So Yeah, you they're know. kind of elvish Yeah, that's not bad. So. Yeah, yeah, we're all, all doing it. All, all rocking the glasses when we have to, which has been pretty much most of my life. And yeah. uh, so I wanted to talk gardening as we started today, unless there's some really critical breaking news, because I, I, I think that being the living example that now Super Don is, dragging him, kicking and screaming into his raised beds, and it's like so exciting to see how excited he is to bring in more pictures, because I didn't even tell him I was going to do more pictures, and he said, I've got more pictures. I'm like, yes, so let's do it, because you sent me a couple of pictures, Ty, yesterday as well. So let's start with the let's gardening update on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Super, do you want to go first? I don't care. You want to, Do you want to go first? No, I don't. He's playing it cool now like he doesn't care. Come oh, on. Whatever. Be proud okay. of those veggies All you're right, going. let me get my pictures here. Okay. Hold on. Yes, I want to see this. And All right, so here's the tomatoes that are coming in. Those are the go big ones. Go full screen on this. Hold on. Yeah. There we, there we go. go. All right. So I've got a bunch of tomato plants. This is the one that has the biggest ones at this point mm -hmm. um, that are coming in. Yeah. And what do we got next year? That's my zucchini plant. That thing has just like exploded. I mean, those, yeah, those, looks those happy. are just huge. It's like it's hard to see the zucchinis. You know, it's just like they're, they're, they're in there somewhere. And that's the inside there. The flowers there's like i got i, well, I can my see first... it growing yeah two of them right there you can see it. there's like beautiful. oh dude there's like like eight of them in there yeah they're, they're hard to find though because the plant is so huge but i did <laughs> i did pick my first one and i gave it to my awesome. daughter and uh she you got more on the way and ate yeah. it and nice. had a good time there uh this is the best picture of the day right here because you know i've been complaining for yes 
weeks now about how it's like I've got these giant broccoli plants. There's no broccoli. <laughs> and finally, the broccoli's mm-hmm. starting to come in. So that's the beginning of a, of a head of broccoli. I remember there. the Wendy's commercial. Where's the beef? It was like you where's saying, the, where's the broccoli? Absolutely. Coming out. That's uh, it's one of the other tomato plants. Those are like the pear tomatoes. Teardrop-looking things. Um, that'll awesome. be coming in. That's the arugula that's coming in. The 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 uh, leaf lettuce didn't survive the heat. Yeah. So the the hardier version there has made it. There's the beets that are finally doing something after weeks and weeks. Yeah. Of just sitting there looking like they weren't going to do anything, but they are finally doing something now. Very good. So that's me. That's excellent. And uh, I want to see. Uh, you want to well, see ties? No, no. Ty sent a couple of ties next. Yeah, and it was like his pictures are out of the garden on the plate already. That's what I remember. So, Ty, what are we looking at here with your pictures? And, and oh, look at that. Are those- you're, looking, you're looking at uh, a couple of tomatoes that are now in my belly. <laughs> are those like the big fist-sized tomatoes, like you take, or those little ones? They're probably you know they fit in the palm of your hand. They're not cherry tomatoes. They're they're but they're not huge either. They're just normal-sized tomatoes. But look at the color. Man, the lycopenes and everything. Yeah, and, yeah, great. They're great looking. They're they're not as pretty on the outside, which a lot of the produce in the store is actually beautiful on the outside and crap on the inside. Exactly. No, These aren't very pretty on the outside, but they are so sweet and so mm-hmm. ripe on the middle. It's unbelievable. And that's a jalapeno pepper. That's a beautiful and pepper, yeah. We uh, Tabitha had, is, is really great about pickling. She loves to pickle stuff and mm-hmm. cucumbers and onions. And she pickled some of these yesterday and, had never done it before. Didn't realize how much the the seeds will burn your hands when you're pickling. Right. So she, we had to use Oliveira on our hands last night because her hands got burned from the jalapeno uh, seeds. Wow, that's pretty amazing. That's a good learning experience, though. Hopefully, you don't rub your eyes when you do that too. Uh, exactly. So, yeah. And by the way, this is the the reason why, folks, if you can join us live watching the show because we have a lot of visual elements. I know the podcast is great too, but you're having to imagine these beautiful red tomatoes and a gorgeous green jalapeno right now, uh, much less the pictures that are forthcoming from my garden that I took this morning. I say mine, it's ours, my wife and I primarily. Sometimes we can get the kids out there, uh, but uh, let's see if we can get some of those pictures showing up. Uh, oh, there we go. That's one of the green mm-hmm. beans among hundreds of green beans. And we've got so many, we can't eat them fast enough. So, uh, uh, my wife has uh, cut them and we're fro- freezing them for later use. And let's see what else we got here. This is in the greenhouse. This is one of the potatoes we had planted, uh, potato plants, and it had, it wasn't doing anything for weeks and weeks and weeks. I was like, are these dead potatoes? And it's like, suddenly this, this comes out. It's looking beautiful there in one of the greenhouses. And let's see what else we got. This is also in the greenhouse. We have some, uh, let's see, that's oregano and, uh, looks like is that basil? Yeah, it's a sweet basil. It's beautiful. We love that. You see some flowers from another potato plant hovering over it. Uh, let's see what else we got in the greenhouse, I think. And that's another one of the potato plants growing in the greenhouse that just took off. It's just like almost to the roof of the greenhouse with beautiful flowers. It brings the bees in there as well. It's, uh, you know, the, they're wide open. There's the lettuce. See, this is what we learned at Super Don. You're right. If you're trying to grow lettuce in direct, intense summer sun, it doesn't like it as much. So we planted it in a plot that has partial sun, partial shade. And, and that's what we get, this beautiful green and red leaf lettuce this year. And we've done better. This is what you do. You learn as you go. I mean, sometimes you can learn by paying attention to others. Sometimes you just got to, you know, screw it up. This is the delicata squash. We got a couple of big ones and some smaller ones on the way. Uh, let's see what else is popping up here. Uh, is that our... Oh, yeah, there you can see a zucchini there, and there's a couple of small ones. It's not as prolific as Super Don's, but we have a few of those, two at least two of those plants that are starting to put out some zucchinis. 
I've had them go crazier before. Here's our watermelon patch. And you can see there are two round ones and two of the football shaped ones. And there's another one on the other side of the broccoli. And what you see at the top of that picture is the broccoli, but Super Don's way ahead because we don't have any broccoli. So I'm yelling, where's the broccoli? It's not come out yet on those plants. And then finally, there's some, uh, there's the corn. It's an heirloom organic variety corn. And there's a bee. If you go to the center of the picture and go a little bit left, uh, there's a teeny bee. It's not really in focus, but I just wanted to show you what the bees are doing to the corn stalks. As they say, the, the, uh, the tassels that come out, there it is. Yeah. And there's a bunch of them. You can hear them buzzing as you walk through the corn, practically cornfields, but we got two beds of corn. And I learned that you, you have to plant more than you think. And it's just like, we've done that this year. And there's just some sunflowers we've got growing up as well. And it's before you see the sunflowers come out. So there you go. Our garden tour is complete. Ty, thanks for indulging us and sharing also your great gardening uh, events going into your belly as well. Yeah. Yeah. We've got a lot of stuff growing. It's great. I, I didn't even know you were going to be showing it on the show today. I just texted you some pictures yesterday because I was proud to be eating our own produce, but worked out well for the show. I was happy you sent them. I was like, yeah, because this is the kind of good news, happy stories people need to see that, uh, it's like, I always say this, if super Don can do it, we can all do it. And that's not a slight to super Don. Super Don knows Marjorie Wildcraft talked about it. If you think you can't, well, you could be truthful because you believe it, but you can do it. And that's the point of what we're trying to do is show you now on the, uh, big uh, scheme of, uh, things where we're trying to help folks that are in trouble includes those people serving in the armed forces. And that includes the coast guard. Our buddy Coast Guard Corey is retired because he refused to get the shot. and They made his life just ridiculous. Fortunately, he had 20 plus years in, so he's OK to retire. But there's 130 Coast Guard members that are suing the federal government over these so-called vaccine mandates. And they estimate there'll be more than 200. And I think the Navy has already been been uh, slapped by a judge to say you can't kick these people out. And maybe there'll be justice and some of those people can come back in without having to be experimented upon with synthetic mRNA injections. Yeah, that's that's a, a great article. It's it's uh, I'm glad that that's happening. Um, we inter- or we're, we're going to interview Dr. Peter McCullough for Propaganda Exposed, the right. the uh, the relaunch. We're calling it uncensored. Mm-hmm. I think I mentioned did I mention <laughs> that to you? Not that it was uncensored. I was censored before, but yeah, we got to go even further, don't we? Well, yeah, but uh, I haven't mentioned the new name though, have I? No, not yet. Okay, so here's what happened. So. We went out, Charlene and I went out and spoke at Billy D's conference out, you know, the Dead Chiropractor Society, the Freedom Tour a couple of weeks ago, uh, two Wednesdays ago. Mm-hmm. And then we stayed in Laguna for a vacation, first vacation we've had together since before Brianna was born. So wow. it's been a long time coming. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, Dr. McCullough, I mean, Dr. Uh, Brian Artis spoke out there. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we met up with Peter McCullough, gosh, when was that that you were here the in the national event for the nurse freedom network right kimberly overton set that up and we all got together and that's where we finally connected and said hey he's got to be in the next propaganda expose expanded kind of thing yeah. yeah yeah and so when we were out there speaking at billy's conference we actually did a live poll of the audience with the two names that i had in mind for the new relaunch we were going to either mm-hmm. call it propaganda exposed remastered or propaganda exposed uncensored and there was a couple hundred people in the audience, probably 300 people, and nobody cheered for remastered and everybody cheered for uncensored. uncensored. So I that's think it's the great. Name. Yeah. It's going to be propaganda exposed, uncensored. And okay. we're doing some new interviews. And one of the new interviews is going to be Dr. Peter McCullough, which we just talked about. Dr. Brian Artis was out there speaking with us mm-hmm. in uh, uh, California and several other people will be uh, featured. 
where I'm going with all this is one of the things that Dr. McCullough has mentioned, and it's not his term, but he's mm-hmm. talked a lot about mass uh, formation psychosis. Psychosis, right. Right, which is what happens where they isolate you for a long period of time, and then they take things away from you that mean a lot to you, mm-hmm. right? Like our ability to travel or whatever it might be. Yeah. And and then there's this constant anxiety that they're pushing, this fear porn that they push. And then they have the solution that's pushed on you by a medical doctor or whatever that is followed without exception. That's mass formation psychosis. And that's one of the things that Dr. McCullough was speaking about, uh, that speaks about a lot. And mm-hmm. we're going to interview him about that. He says one of the areas that that's the most pervasive is in the military now. Mm. Um, And he speaks about uh, one of his patients in the DFW area is the naval cadet. And he was jabbed because they all had to get jabbed. And he had immediate cardiac reaction to it. Something's wrong with his heart now. And he said, upon going to his superiors and letting them know that he was immediately damaged by the first shot, they all said that he still had to get the second shot. Mm. And Dr. McCullough said, said this is the mo- one of the most obvious examples of this mass formation. Yeah. They don't listen to logic. No- nothing is working up here. It's just do what you're told. It's pretty incredible. But you yeah. know, when we look at people that are trapped in that place in space and we try to reach them with sincerity and integrity and intellectual uh, discussions and you're like, how is this not landing? This person's intelligent. We know for various reasons we know that we've known people like that for years. And yet you try to approach or broach these subjects in a very gentle way, even, and it's an immediate, you know, I, I, I'm going to say what they're really saying is I'm in a cult. I don't want to be deprogrammed from this cult basically. And, and yeah. you can't, you can't approach them like that anymore that you can approach them just showing them the science that actually validates our perspective, much yeah. less an experience like that person from the military having an adverse event and saying, Nope, well, you got to get the next one anyway. Where does right. that that's, make that's, any sense? It doesn't make any sense. And that's why, you know, a story like this that, that's published in, in Bobby's Kennedy's Defender, that's why this is encouraging, right? Because we got 130 Coast Guard members that are suing over these mandates. They're, you know, they're standing up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and I guess in a way that's pretty miraculous because in the military, what are they told? Shut up and obey orders. Shut mm-hmm. up and obey. Do what you're told. Do what you're told. Yeah. I mean, it's part of being in the military. Uh, but in this situation, it's, they've crossed the line. And so it's good to see these Coast Guard members standing up and suing. Because yeah. they don't have a right over our bodily autonomy, no matter who, what branch of the military you're in. Yeah. Well, as I say, the legal fiction known as public health has basically led everybody down a collectivist pathway where their bodies are not owned by themselves or controlled by themselves. And it basically is a, a ruse to get everybody to basically not volunteer, but pretend mm-hmm. you're volunteering into uh, the ownership of your body by government and pharmaceutical industrial complex, et cetera. And it, and then you find yourself very ill and you don't know why it's like, well, they said they were here to help me and protect me. And yet all they're doing is devastating your ability to be a functional, healthy human being with immune system that's still intact. And yet these people should know better. They've abandoned any logic and reason and are trapped, as you said, in that psychosis. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's many articles and even WHO has come out recently and said that these the uh, spike proteins in the COVID vaccines are likely causing uh, immune system suppression. So it's it's becoming more mainstream now that the jabs are actually causing more sickness and us to become sicker because of the way that they're affecting the immune system, specifically the, the spike protein. Mm-hmm. 
So how do we break free of that kind of mass formation psychosis? Sometimes it takes, you know, one tragedy that hits close to home that shakes you out of that stupor. And it's a, it's a tragedy that it has to happen in that way. But, um, you know, we didn't make the rules <laughs> and yet we're here for those that are waking up at whatever point they are and not in a hashtag woke way, but in a real way where you're, you're coming back to sanity, some semblance of listening to whether it be mother's intuition, which we've talked about for years, Ty, about all the moms that were getting messages like, don't do this for your kid. And yet the doctor said, Oh, it's fine. And they, they, they bowed down to authority or authoritarianism. And then they ended up with children that were injured or worse uh, from these previous vaccines before it was even MRNA. And so we're going through that, but it's seemingly waking people up like never before. We've talked Mm -hmm. about, um, you know, 50, 60, 70, sometimes 80% are saying, you know what? I'm now questioning one or all vaccines. That's like nothing we could have done. Even the truth about vaccines. We're not delusional. We had some impact, but not an impact to where 50, 60, 70, 80% of the people now suddenly are going, yeah, there could be a problem here. And that's their own doing. Those that say we're bad people for raising these issues, they're the ones because they push so hard, so fast on this issue that they made it uncomfortably obvious to those that they used to have hoodwinked. Yeah, it's a blessing in disguise, really, that they've done this because it has waked up people that wouldn't have. And, you know, one of the things that has waked up many people that maybe wouldn't have was the the impact that this is having on the kids. You know, you mess with a person, it's different than messing with their kids, right? The mama bears come out when you start messing with the health of, of kids. And we're seeing that. And there's no reason for these kids to be getting vaccinations. And we're seeing all over the world um, these, I, I call them parades, but they're not parades. They're just, they're gatherings of parents that have lost children after mm-hmm. being vaccinated with the COVID vaccine. And they've got the pictures of the kid that died, you know, three days, four days after the, being vaccinated. It's mm-hmm. very, very sad. But it, it, in a way, maybe that's what had to happen to wake up these people because now they're seeing it's not just affecting me, it's killing kids. Yeah. And something, this is ridiculous. Something's got to stop because we're seeing this all over the world now. Mm-hmm. Well, it was like in the, in the sequel to The Vax, the initial uh, movie Vax cover up catastrophe, the first children in these uh, families that were vaccinated, jabbed, or whatever, and harmed resulted in the second, third, fourth children not getting those jabs and being healthy. So, that child that was inadvertently sacrificed, you know, on the altar of the church of, of, of pharmaceutical mysticism through the vaccinology religion or cult part of it, uh, woke up the family so that the next kids did not have to be subjected to the ailment inducing or even death inducing shots again, prior to MRNA. So now the suspicion is ramped up with the MRNA push and they can't contain it. Now, you know, we opened today tie with the New York times op-ed piece about, these parents that are not claiming to be Republican or Democrat anymore, they're independents and they're voting on a single issue, whether you want to mandate vaccines and masks or not. I'm like, this is great news. And they're freaking out over it because they can't control the narrative when you're not part of that extreme on either side. You're going, look, we're all for the kids and we don't believe in you mandating what should go into them any more than we believe in us. And they're just losing their minds over the loss of control on those people now. Yeah, they're they're going back, you know what, crazy over that, mm-hmm. which is it's really cool to see. You know, another thing they're going back, you know what, crazy over is the uh, the Second Amendment. I see on your on your uh, your. I got a We the People what, what, shirt. Is that is that an AK fifteen uh, on your shirt? Is that is that what it's called? I think it's an AR fifteen, but yeah. No, I'm, I'm I'm being sarcastic because you, you did you see you did see the video of the uh, Philadelphia Phillies or is it was it the Philadelphia Eagles coach? Hmm. It was either Philadelphia team, football or baseball. I think it might have been the football Eagles, but coach, football Eagles. Yeah. And he said that no one should have an AK 15. 
And, you know, I'd have to agree. I don't he think shouldn't. Anyone, I don't think anyone <laughs> should have an AK-15 either. Yeah, since I don't there, know. Since there's no such thing as an AK-15. Right. But certainly if there were, that coach should not have one. Clearly. Not him. And if you, you've also seen the videos of the the uh, senators saying that they be, they don't believe anyone should have a fully automatic, semi-automatic, or a fully <laughs> auto, semi-auto. Right. It's like, those are different things. Yeah. Fully auto is not semi-auto. They don't even know what they're talking about. No, they don't. But then Biden said back in the Revolutionary War days, people weren't allowed to own their own cannons. <laughs> yeah. Well, Biden also came out a couple of days ago and said that they had done a, a drone strike or something and killed Zawahiri. Right? Something Did like you that, see that? Yeah. yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. That he there was there was a video of him over a year ago. Die. He died naturally. Yeah. I mean, it's just nobody, well, the drone the drone went back in time and killed him. Nobody nobody holds their feet to the fire for this. I mean, mm. can you imagine if in, if Trump was in office and claimed to have killed a terrorist that had died a year ago? Oh yeah, they would they not would have let that destroy him. Yeah, I would. Anyway. They would call for the twenty fifth amendment. Yep. Anyway, we got uh, another story here, and this this does relate to some things that, of course, our dearly departed friend Liam Sheff wrote about in terms of vaccines and polio, for instance, and you, of course, with. Uh, uh, your book follow up, if you will, on um, on the I, what was a multi alliteration? I can't even remember. Monumental myths of the modern medical mafia and the mainstream media and the multitude of lying liars that manufactured them. You still can do that. I'm so impressed. Uh, but this story is about they're call, claiming that and this is the BBC claiming polio uh, virus found in wastewater of a New York City suburb. Uh, but remember, there has never been one virus isolated to say this is the cause of all polio or paralytic uh, manifestations. They keep renaming it, relabeling it, particularly with, uh, let's say, post-polio in, uh, vaccination paralysis. They rename that uh, or Guillain-Barre. There are other things like that. But what is the story here in terms of claiming the polio virus is found in the wastewater of a New York City suburb other than to create fear to kind of get the parents to get their kids back into well baby visits to get the jabs that they're not getting since the COVID thing. I mean, you, you've seen a significant drop in compliance with jab or vaccine mandates, even in New York where there's seemingly no escape. Yeah, it's definitely, this is fear, fear, fear porn, trying to scare people into making sure that they get all the recommended jabs. Cause you know, God forbid we don't get the polio vaccine when you, there's just hardly any polio in first world countries. In, in a, anywhere outside I mean, of just, areas where they've done the polio uh, vaccines. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and by the way, you know, developers of the polio vaccine, including Salk, testified before Congress that after the first 20 years of the vaccine, it was likely that all the cases were actually caused by the vaccine. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we got the people that, that created the vaccines admitting that. But this is no different than the COVID test, right? The uh, the PCR test. FDA, as a matter of fact, there was an article out just a couple of days ago that the FDA had admitted that the PCR test was developed without isolating the COVID virus, right? Yeah, we've For covered sure. that too. And I know there's great controversy even today to talk about these things, but I think it's important to recognize that these tests are really, uh, uh, you know, a false way of identifying a real issue. For yeah. instance, you know, the people that were sick were really sick that we didn't yeah. dispute that, but to say that the PCR <clears throat> test confirmed that it was one thing, or if you call it a COVID uh, vac uh, yeah. virus, that's the thing where it falls apart. The reality yeah. of illness was not ever an argument we've ever made, including going back to the fallacy of HIV causing AIDS. We didn't deny people had immune collapse, but look at what's happening with monkeypox. 
And even then, how are they validating it's monkeypox and not shingles or another herpetic lesions or outbreaks because of immune suppression due to COVID jabs, for instance, or other things within certain communities that engage in practices that result in the need perceived or real for antibiotic therapy mm-hmm. that also destroys their guts and destroys their microbiome and destroys their immune system, causing the manifestation of anything and everything. And they're saying, oh, it's monkeypox everywhere. Monkeypox. Now we got to what do we got to do? Hide again? Shut down? Lock down again? Yeah, that, that, that's the main thing to remember is that we neither of us have ever claimed that these people aren't getting sick. It's just, are they getting sick from a SARS-CoV-2 that is evidenced by COVID-19? That's the question. Mm-hmm. It's not, are they getting sick? Sure, there's a lot of people that have gotten sick. It could, it could have been from a biological agent. It could have been from a lot, a lot of other things. So that's really not what we've said is that they're not getting sick. It's much like the uh, for instance, with some a man that takes a PSA test, mm-hmm. right, and his PSA levels are elevated, prostate specific antigen test for cancer mm-hmm. PSA. Um, and, the, and in Cancer Step Outside the Box, the first book from way back when I covered this, those PSA tests are not specific to prostates. They're mm-hmm. not. They're not. Pres- pro- women can have elevated PSA levels, yeah. and they don't have a prostate. So yeah. all the PSA levels are, measure is a, a, a inflammation in the body. You can have inflammation for a lot of reasons. And, you know, if you have elevated PSAs, there's something that's probably going on there. Yeah. But it's not necessarily cancer. It's something and you need to get to the bottom of it. But the PSA doesn't detect cancer only. It's very much like the PCR test for COVID. Yeah, we've indicated that if the PSA is elevated, it's more likely to be in adverse relationship to selenium levels in the body. And, you know, we've talked about this for years, how critical selenium is Mm -hmm. in the prevention and reversing of cancer. Yep. All, all cancers just about, but prostate cancer is a big time one as well in that regard. Uh, so as we call, call polio out for what it isn't, you know, polio, of course, is what they claim to be the paralytic, you know, symptom. And they, they had to find a, a cause or a blame something. And of course, they didn't want to blame DDT. That would harm industry. They didn't want to blame lead arsenate. You know, these are pesticides that were sprayed on apples and other things. They didn't want to blame the use of chlorine in pools and how that was impacting the microbiome and the immune system. They don't want to blame the high sugar consumption during the era of the 20th century when refrigeration became widely available and ice cream and sugars and refined, all of that, all of it combined into one thing, although DDT arguably could be enough on its own, but all of those things take out of commission this idea that we have one virus that as Liam Sheff put so well in official stories, it's like scraping stuff from the sidewalk and then doing all kinds of crazy stuff in a lab to it and then finding this one thing and saying, that's it, that's what caused paralysis in everybody and ignoring the toxicological burden of heavy metals and pesticides and all of that. And it's so absurd and we're still dealing with this regarding COVID. And I wish that we could have better communication between those that are all in on virus causation and those that say virus don't exist and start talking about how the terrain explains all of that. Whether you are a germ theory proponent or or no virus proponent, we can explain it by understanding the law of the terrain. You know, yeah, and I'm chuckling because you said we wish we could have a conversation, right, between the differing parties. Isn't it strange how, you know, when we were growing up in the 70s and 80s, late 60s, that when you had had a difference with someone, hmm. you could literally sit down and talk it out. And yeah. even though you might still disagree at the end, you could have the conversation and you, you'd be like, well, I don't see it your way, but you know, well, let's agree to disagree. You can't even have the conversation anymore because yeah. the other side will start screaming at you or yeah. making noises or these just acting like animals. And it's like, become so we polarized where you can't disagree with someone and talk about it. Instead yeah. we scream at them and, and, 
beat them up or whatever it is. We're like animals. Well, I'd like to think we're not here, but I, I think, uh, over the years, we've had some great conversations with folks and we've learned a lot through them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even if some points in, in times we could still, well, I don't agree with that conclusion, but I'm still pals with a lot well, of people. We, that I'm, I, not, I'm not speaking RSB show at all. Of course, that, <laughs> that's where the conversation happens. Yeah, we and actually have where, them. Here. On a lot of, on, on a lot of quote, alternative media mm -hmm. it's where the real conversations are happening and they're not afraid to discuss the other side of the issue yeah. in order to figure out what's the truth. Oh, it's, by the way, speaking of alternative, uh, yeah, speaking of what we call alternative media, yeah. if you go to the upcoming events tab at robertscottbell.com, uh, there's some events coming up I want you to know about, including one that at least, Ty, you're coming to. Is Charlene going to come to the uh, uh, National Health Freedom uh, Conference? The uh, um, well, let me go. Let me go into the upcoming events. Yeah, we're, we're we're coming to the national the Health Freedom Congress in Minneapolis, yes. and then we're yeah. also coming to Chicago. Cool. So September 23rd and 24th, y'all, uh, the United States Health Freedom Congress, Diane Miller, one of my heroes, one of my friends, uh, has established that many years ago. And that's coming up on the 23rd, 24th. And uh, Ty, Charlene and I, and I think some people from Children's Health Defense, I don't know who, will be having a little roundtable discussion about media issues. So we're actually going to be talking about our experiences in the new media and how we can you know, do better, all of us, and, and, and you know, raise the standards in our community. Uh, to to really engage more and more folks to come on over where actual engagement, intellectual engagement and the ability to discuss things even in disagreement and 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 come away better for it. So I think that's part of what we're going to do at the Congress. Yeah, huh? I, you're I've not participated in one before, Robert. I, I don't know if you have, so I don't really know oh, yeah. what to expect. We're just thankful no, to be it, invited and to participate. It's really, honestly, it's the, the health freedom champions of the world coming together, particularly in North America or the United States. But we, it's a lot of strategy sessions, a lot of, uh, you know, working groups, a lot of plans, even proposals uh, in terms of, of things that we'd like to see happen. And it really is bringing people from all aspects of the health freedom crowd together. Uh, and, and really, everybody's got their, their strong points or even their, their championing ideas within it. And it's a chance to come together. Scott Tips is going to be the keynote speaker this year uh, from uh, the National Health uh, Federation. So this is really an amazing event. It's different from all other events in that it's a strategy session beyond a strategy session. So it's like you get to rub elbows, folks. You don't even have to be voting members to attend. Uh, you, you can audit or take participate in the discussion groups and have an impact on where we're moving in terms of what we call about a movement of health freedom uh, and beyond that. So again, Ty and Charlene have a lot of experience with new media, as you know. We've traveled a lot of these roads together, and so we'll have a lot to share. The folks from Children's Health Defense as well. That's just one small aspect. It's not everything. There's a lot that's going to go on that those couple of days we're together. And then, as you said, the Health Freedom Expo, uh, middle of October in uh, outside of Chicago, the Tinley Park uh, Convention Center. It's always a great time. Uh, prior to that, I'm heading back to your old stomping ground. I used to have a place up in Pittsburgh. This weekend, I'm going to head to Pittsburgh. And I've got the uh, Sheridan Pittsburgh Hotel hosting us for nutritional supplement expert Jamie Dorley and, and Nutritional Frontiers. And that includes who you know, Dr. Tracy Strout. You also know Judy Mikovits. I don't know if you've ever met Dr. Len Brankowitz. He's a pharmacist. Uh, he's talking about integrating between allopathic and natural stuff to help make a bridge to the allopaths out there, which is great. And so that's going to be a great weekend event. And uh, the standing room only, if you want to go, that's fine. Try to reach out to them at 412 922 or you can stream it online. You can get a code to watch it. Uh, you can get tickets that way as well. And then Autism One. And Ty, you were at a, one of the Autism Ones in Chicago uh, some years ago, I remember. And yep. uh, 
we're coming back and this time it's going to be in Mesa, Arizona outside of Phoenix. And it's the 18th of August through the 21st of August. So that's also coming up in a couple of weeks and uh, look forward to seeing everybody that can make it there. And then I don't know if they're streaming that live, but certainly they'll have it available later, but hopefully you can make it. The the, the rooms are so dirt cheap. It's like going back 20 years to hot to uh, the prices of uh, hotels because nobody really goes to the desert in the summer. So take advantage of the cheap uh, rates to go there. Uh, Then I've got another other events coming up, but I just wanted to, spotlight a couple of them coming up right away and uh i'm so grateful that we could do this together some of these events that we get together on coming up yeah and encourage everyone that, that can to make it to autism one mm-hmm. um you know we lost ed oranga this year yeah. terry's pressing on with the mission and you know they've been so helpful to so many people including us with the truth about vaccines that yeah we want to continue to support them so we really encourage you to go go to that if you're close just to help support them yeah, I've got, I'm, I'm working on my PowerPoint. I'm getting, uh, railed. It's like, where's your PowerPoint? I'm like, I, I just needed one more slide. And, uh, my buddy, Kevin Tuttle sent it in, uh, Scott Shara and Vera Shara. Vera Shara is the, uh, Holocaust survivor speaking about the parallels of what's happening today compared to what she grew up with as a child mm-hmm. and the eventual Holocaust scenario. And Scott Shara, of course, talks about it in, in a contemporary uh, way. It's a horrific losing his daughter, Grace. Uh, you know, who's down syndrome as well. And as a young lady, so they, they said DNR, do not resuscitate. There was no DNR order from the family. And, and so the hospitals, which we know have been killing fields for decades, have become so overt that you don't even want to go in for a broken limb because you never know where it's going to end up without major advocacies looking out for you on your behalf. And there was a slide I wanted to relate to that to the autism one community family to recognize, you know, there are times and places for allopathic medicine, but we've got to be so cautious when we enter their domain, particularly the hospitals, because they become such devastating killing fields now. So that's part of the, the process is I'm going to be speaking a lot about copper, copper deficiency as it manifests in those in the autism spectrum and beyond. Yeah, I'm with you too. Um, it, unless it's like a, unless I'm gushing blood from my jugular or yeah. have an arm amp that, that's been cut off. I mean, we're not going to the hospital. If, if there's any kind of an emergency, we'll go to one of the, the clinics you know, like the out clinics that, yeah, that are always open out yeah. and stay out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a story here about the FDA's control over supplements from the Alliance for Natural Health. And Super Don raised a question. It's like they're, they're like partially or cautiously optimistic about this. But it, it's weird because this bill was introduced by a, a, a friend to the pharmaceutical industry, not a friend to the supplement industry. Doctor. No, he's not a doctor. Oh, he's a senator. Dick Durbin. Where is his name like a badge? And uh, Senator Richard Blumenthal, both uh, Democrats and another Democrat representative, uh, Rose DeLauro. And they're trying to establish a a different way to regulate dietary supplements away from the FDA. Now, on on the surface, we got, oh, yeah, getting out of the auspices of the FDA. Isn't that great? But when you are targeting focused governmental bureaucracies in regulating dietary supplements, what's to say that that new agency would not be just as captured or even more so captured by the pharmaceutical industry that does not want competition from dietary supplements. I don't know why this, anybody would think this is a good thing. I'd have to reach out to somebody at the NH to figure this one out. Yeah. I read this too. And I was like looking for their response to be uh, more, you know, second verse, same as the first, but yeah. they, it's more of a positive spin from them. And that's fine. Maybe they know something that isn't included, mm-hmm. but I'm with you. You take one p- power from one, federal agency and give it to another, it's just going to be corrupted very, very quickly. Yeah. Right? Who was, what was it? Herbert Lay with the FDA said that within the first year, the FDA was corrupted from the time it was its inception within a year, it was yeah. completely captured. 
it probably would take less than a month yeah. to capture a new agency. So, and you're right, uh, little, uh, little Dickie Durbin, yeah. he's not a doctor, right? Not, not, not that you have to be a doctor, but none of these but, are yeah. doctors. Yeah. Um, well, maybe they should have had Dr. Jill Biden as part of their team, right? Because as Whoopi Goldberg said, she's a darn good doctor, a darn good practitioner, even though she's not. She should be a, uh, the Surgeon General, Whoopi says. Yeah, she should be Surgeon General. She's Or she's a heck of a doctor, got a heck of a practice. And for those who don't know, she's not a medical doctor. She she received a doctorate in elementary education, educational yeah, or right. ethics or something. Yeah, that's okay, a that, she's not a doctor. That's a uh, I I don't know what we call that, but uh, but apparently Whoopi heard that she was a heck of a doctor. It's like yeah. they just make this stuff up and expect us to believe it. Mm-hmm. Superdoc, can you read that paragraph you just pulled out of that ANH article? If you wouldn't mind, uh, it would help me a lot. Um, there it is. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead and let us know what it's saying. <coughs> would that help you a lot, Robert? Yes, it I would. That, that yes, would help you a lot. One right, particular paragraph. Since it will help you a lot. Oh yeah. Um, NH USA. This is, a, this is basically their explanation. Cause I was, I was saying, it was just like, why are they being optimistic about this at all? When it's coming from Dick Durbin, I wouldn't trust it as far as I could throw it. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, they say here that they've long advocated for an independent agency to regulate supplements separate from both food and drugs. Um, moving supplements into this new food safety agency would be a much better option than keeping them under the FDA's jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. At the FDA, they're seen as competition to drugs. Right. Um, so I guess I can, I can understand in principle what they're trying to say. Yeah. But first off, what's to say that the Food Safety Administration or whatever mm-hmm. that they're calling it yeah. is going to be an independent agency? That's the point that Ty and I, I mean, just brought up. Exactly. Well, yeah, you know, I, I, mad respect for for A and H, huge, mm-hmm. right? Those guys are awesome, right? Yeah. But I'm just like, who, who is like writing this and going, oh, hey, maybe, maybe they'll do something good. I mean, it's just another three letter agency under the the the, the government yeah. that's going to be dealing with food safety. Why why would they be considered independent? I understand what they're saying. Let's get it away mm-hmm. from the FDA. But yeah. Let's not give it to some something else, you know, some other three-letter thing, you know. That's that's rule. There's by a big the risk there. I agree, a huge risk there. Uh, I don't. So, I have zero uh, zero optimism on that one. Look, I I am the Ron Paul approach here. Get rid of the FDA altogether. There's not a basis for what they do, and you know they uh, they turn jurisprudence on its head and justice on its head. Because of course, if you are a dietary supplement manufacturer, distributor, retailer, and you happen to report on some scientific finding about an ingredient that's in one of the supplements and you say it suddenly now you you've been relegated to oh that's a new unapproved drug and we're going to come take you away or put you in prison take your money shut your business down it's like you talk about freedom of speech long before they were censoring us and deplatforming us ty people that spoke out that had supplements that had good science even to back it up were being basically assaulted by the government this agency. And if the FDA didn't have enough teeth, they'd send the FTC onto them and find them out of business for simply speaking free, freely about their products. And, you know, like I said, the freedom of speech issue, I brought this up for decades now. And now everybody realizes, yeah, we sacrifice by saying there's certain kind of speech we should be able to stop the kind we don't like. Yeah. We, we mentioned that when we we're at abilities conference about the FDA their overreach because that was right in the uh in the neighborhood of rawsom dairy if you remember yeah. the rawsom foods yeah, raid, the, the raid yeah where they threw the the owner of rawsom foods in jail and they 
He was charged with mislabeling cheese, among other egregious offenses. Yeah. So, you know, FDA, as we've mentioned so many times, openly admits that their drugs that they've approved kill 100,000 people a year. And people look to them mm. as the arbiter of justice in the in the in the, the safety of drug or drugs and or foods. Are you kidding me? An agency that that admits that the products they approve and, and are used properly kill 100,000 Americans each year. Why would we look to them yeah. as the arbiter of truth and justice when it comes to food safety or drug safety? Right. Yeah, exactly. Bare minimum, 100,000. As you know, it's it's much larger than that. And now with the killing fields of COVID treatment mandated through hospital settings, it's, you know, it, it's easily over a million uh, in, in a year. And of course, if there was a dietary supplement that was even remotely related to one hangnail, they want to, <laughs> they want to shut down the country, front page news everywhere, find them, find them, put them in jail. It's like, it's so twisted, but I think it's tra changing and transforming because it becomes more obvious to more people by the day. Uh, we had a question, uh, that came in from a listener, I think not, not too awfully far from you, super D, uh, question of the day. Did it make it into the notes there? Super Don, the, this question of the day. I'm not sure if it did or not. Oh, yeah, there it is. Um, this is from Erica. Do you have the name of a holistic practitioner? It's an interesting spelling. W-H-O-L-E, then istic practitioner in Chattanooga, Tennessee area or North Georgia. And I know, Ty, you, you hang out a little bit near Chattanooga because your son is going up there. Was it Lookout Mountain area or something where, where he's at in college? Yeah, yeah. He's in Lookout Mountain, Georgia, which is yeah. Chattanooga area. What, what's the question again? Uh, if holistic, we know of any holistic, holistic, okay. yeah, practitioners in that area, North Georgia. I, unfortunately, I don't. Okay. I don't. Um, we've actually been looking for someone down there for Bryce to see for his back, okay. um, like a kinesiologist to help him with his spasms and stuff when he's pitching. So yeah. we're, we don't really, I don't know too many people down in that area, unfortunately. I got a buddy of mine that's in North Georgia. I don't know how far up 75 toward Chattanooga he is, but he is on very much on the north side of things. Uh, Frank Madalone, uh, he's a, a physician, and I've known him through you know, the integrative circles we've run for many, many years. Frank Madalone. So check him out. See if he's up in that area. And our good buddy, Dr. Jockers, is kind of north on 75, uh, you know, as a, a DC. And uh, But yeah, I don't know specifically, and maybe there's some other uh, uh, ways to find it. If anybody, I put it out to the audience too. If anybody in the Chattanooga or North Georgia area up to 75 or 575 corridor uh, knows of a holistic integrative uh, physician or doctor, let us know so we can let uh, Erica know about that. 75 uh, or 575 corridor. It almost sounds like you've lived in that area, Robert. Yeah, yeah, I did. But of course it wasn't as heavily populated back then. I got out. Uh, mom's still back there, my sister and their kids, but we visited for a week earlier in the summer, had a great time, but it's like, yeah, it was right before I saw you up here at the conference. That's right. Yeah. I, I flew all the way back to go out there. Next time I'm, I'm just going to head up the road and see you and hang out. So if we can get back, but we got, we got some road trips coming. Uh, our friend Pat is watching, asking about, is it possible that lower back pain over a few days, no incident, no strain, maybe slept wrong could be evidence of detoxing. Back pain is not my normal. This is a great question, Pat. Now, there can be, for instance, you can have kidney stress, kidney-type pains without it being infected. You can feel that stress. And I've said many times over the years, um, she's talking lower back pain. But if you have that higher back pain on the right-hand side, up above between the shoulder blades, that's the chelidonium point. 
That's our homeopathic signal that says, hey, our liver's congested and do a little bit extra. Chelidonium is the remedy typically, but bryonia, nuxvomica, there are other things to do, dandelion. So yes, and, and if you've just uh, been trying this one, uh, Aaron Elizabeth and Larry Cook hooked us up with this. We got this uh, zeolite. I don't know if you've seen this, but nano-sized uh, zeolites that they cleaned up all the bad stuff. So they purified the zeolite so they're ready to grab the bad stuff when it comes into your body. Remember when we wrote Unlock the Power to Heal, that was a big controversy about zeolites yeah. that they came in with the metals that you detected come out with. And you're like, that's not right. So they found a way to nano-size and colloidal suspend them. And this uh, Pure Body Extra, we've had a, we had a two-week offer for five bucks. Uh, and some people are trying it and seeing some, some gradual detox happening. So I don't know if Pat's doing that right now. But we try to make it as simple as possible to reduce the burden from organophosphate, pesticides, glyphosate, heavy metals, and anything I can do to make it simpler for people, I want to do that. So, Pat, let us know uh, if that's related to that. But, yes, drink more water, detox the liver, support the kidneys, and you should get past that unless it's an injury situation. Just a brief un impromptu answer to a question from our listeners there. Good job. You're good at those impromptu. <laughs> yeah, I manage it occasionally. Do yeah. you, by the way, do you need me to do more uh, stuff for the, the uncensored version uh, of Bridges? Or are you going to be okay? Lord, no, you're in it enough already, Robert. <laughs> Thank enough. gosh. No more of you. Yeah, all right. You, good. You know, one, one of the things we're trying to do with the bonus episode is it's going to be all people that were not in any of the first eight. Very good. So, you know, we're going to, we got Dr. McCullough, uh, mm -hmm. Dr. Artis is coming. Excellent. We're actually going to interview Sean Stone. Oliver mm. Stone's son about it, about propaganda. Sean's cool. Yeah. Um, where we possibly might get Dr. Naomi Wolf down here. Nice. Um, I had Naomi on the show of, uh, about a month or so ago. It was terrific. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Great. And then um, I'm trying to think who else we've got a couple more people coming. Good. Excellent. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Dr. Malone. Oh yeah. Dr. Malone's coming. Robert Malone. Yeah. We still haven't got him on the show. We almost did. We'd hope hopefully get him on eventually. I'd love to talk with him some more on this. All right, so Truth About Cancer as well. The website's linked up, as always, when Ty is here. There's an article recently came out. Is your home too clean? How germs prevent childhood cancer? Now, this can't be actually spoken enough. The idea that we have to be aseptic and hide from germs and kill germs is causing more problems than it's resolving. And here's the article at The Truth About Cancer. Um, this idea that germs are bad, again, makes no sense when you realize how much we rely on germs for our very life. Yeah, and the study, one of the studies we talk about is a study from across the pond on ALL, childhood cancer, and showing that sometimes kids are getting sicker because the babies are too clean. They're not exposed to enough dirt, bacteria. There's too many of these bactericidal type gels and stuff that are being used. And just think of how compromised the immune systems are going to be and what susceptibility these infants over the last two years might have after this COVID scamdemic is out and we're washing everything in this antibacterial type crap mm -hmm. i mean it's unbelievable there's a, josh josh actually wrote a book a few years ago called eat dirt and he, his premise was that vegetables and things we eat are way too clean we should mm -hmm. be eating more in the natural state because there's soil-based organisms microbes that are good beneficial for our yeah. intestines for the microbiome and we're cleaning them off we wash them off and we eat we should be eating more dirt it's it's a pretty valid premise mm -hmm. So I don't know how many of you are going into your garden. Like we have, I didn't take pictures of them, but we've got loads of blackberries. We planted, uh, transplanted some blackberries and they, they've really done well this year in their new place. And I'm just pulling them right off and going, 
and then eating them. And it's like, there's dirt on them. And I'm still here, just like drinking the orange guard. It's fine. You know, I'm not poisoning myself. We've really got to learn to live with the microbiome of the planet, much less our own. And that interaction with the soil-based organisms, these are healthy things. People are stronger when they don't live in an aseptic environment. They're actually challenged in a good way. And again, it's part of how our, you know, our bodies learn about the environments we're in. And so that's another aspect of, you're right, we, we are too obsessed with cleanliness. And you know, that's the concept where they say, well, cleanliness is next to godliness, but it wasn't an aseptic, you know, container that you hid in. That's different. <laughs> we have to make the distinction. Yeah, a huge distinction. And, you know, that's I did the same thing with our fruits here. And we got a blueberry bush that has a crap load of blueberries on it. <laughs> yes. um, not anymore. We've eaten most of them off. But mm-hmm. I mean, we don't wash it. Why would you wash it? Yeah. We don't spray it with anything. Um the only thing that we've used on anything is some of the orange guard, mm-hmm. you know, it's edible, yeah. but it's not sprayed with anything. And the reason that we spray, we, we used to wash off a lot of things was um, two reasons. Number one, if it's bought in a store, you don't know who's touched it. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and, and you know, the reality is you don't know if there's fecal material on it or whatever, that's different. Yeah. You don't want to ingest that. And then number two, we'd wash it because it was sprayed with some sort of chemical and you can taste it on the skin. So you're like, oh, I got to wash that off. But mm-hmm. when it, you know what's going into the growing and you know that there's nothing being sprayed, don't you know, there's no need to wash it. Yeah. Well, that's what we pretty much uh, been able to survive the, the dirt from our own gardens. And uh, look, the neighbors, unfortunately, on the other side, still are not with us on this idea of not using certain chemicals. So we don't grow things close to that side. But until those people wake up and the soil's remediated, we got to control for the areas we have control over and hopefully do better by communicating. Now, finally, we're almost out of time here, Ty. Uh, one of the uh, uh, articles you have is Charlene's Cancer Fighting Cuisine, Episode 4. I, I think we might have missed Episodes 1, 2, and 3, but is this something they can watch or read? It's, this, it's just a series of articles that Charlene's putting out there on different recipes. We're, uh, we're calling it Cancer Fighting Cuisine. It used to be Charlene's Cancer Fighting Kitchen, but cuisine sounds more classy. Yes. But we've just taken a lot of the articles. We've been working on the last four or five years. We've got a drafted cookbook up. And so a lot of these are recipes from the cookbook that will eventually be published. And this is just one of our favorite recipes, the watermelon and arugula <laughs> salad. I mean, who doesn't love watermelon? I'm and looking. And then you mix it with mm-hmm. arugula and these ingredients. It's fantastic. It's a great salad. Yeah, see, I'm glad it's not Friday when I'm fasting because I don't know if I'd make it through watching the what's on this page of the uh, Charlene's cuisine, cancer fighting cuisine. This is beautiful. All right, TMB. Well, look, I'm going to see you before we know it. We'll be together at a couple of events. Uh, yep. um, so, uh, thank you for all that you're doing out there. And I'm glad that you're, uh, uh, you got the glasses to hit those, uh, I guess it's softball what you're playing and knocking. Yeah. Some playing softball. yeah. I, then, I didn't hit any, any dingers last night. I hit one to the fence, but okay. I didn't hit any out. Well, I'm looking forward also with your son, Bryce, and how his next season is coming along yeah, for his pitching arm. Anything we can do to keep him strong, I want to do that as well. So mm-hmm. thank you, my brother. I guess just tell them what they need to know before we got to go to the bonus round. Yeah, I always remember the power to heal is yours. All right. Bonus round commences now. Uh, I, I'm just uh, reviewing some of the comments in there. I think everybody really enjoyed our discussion with Ari Witten in the first hour, the breath discussion and even the waves and the surfing and all of that. Love that. 
And uh, let's see if there are any questions or comments coming in beyond that. Um, let's see here. Let's go in. We've got the, the social media chat room, and then we've got the chat room at our website, robertscottbell.com slash listen. For those of you listening later on the podcast, you can join in live or you can sign in. I think you can even see the commentary that happens even after the fact on our website. It doesn't disappear, uh, which is kind of cool. So, yeah, Pat was saying she is doing the Pure Body Extra, the Zeolite. Uh, and if you miss the $5 deal, apparently you can still get 50 bucks off your first bottle and then you'll get 20 bucks or 20%. I'm not sure what it is, but every month that you get that. And yeah, we're hearing people that are having some detox uh, manifestations. That's a good thing as long as it's manageable, but you can control the pace at which you go. Uh, three, four sprays, three times a day is your standard way of using this. And I, I was just uh, taking four sprays. I think, did I do this on the air today or not? I don't remember, but yeah, still got a lot. Look at that. So it goes slowly. Super D what's going on with you? Um, I was going to say, I got another update from my daughter. Um, oh, that's good. right. She's put one of the, one of the grandkids that's on the spectrum on correct. the spray. Correct. Yeah. And was it yesterday? She said, or you were reporting that the, no, it was, it was on or... Sunday. So it would have yeah. been Monday show. I okay. think when I brought it up mm -hmm. that he, it, he appeared to be having clear, clear processing and less process time with things. That's, that's great. <clears throat> and then it was yesterday I'm mm -hmm. having to document this because I, I, I really, I, I, you know, I genuinely want to know whether this is working or not. Mm -hmm. um, and apparently he's having continued improvement with processing. Okay. And the thing that she noticed was, you know, in his speech, what he, when he's talking, he has been saying like, um, so-and-so, uh, instead of saying his name, the, you know, the words, his name, he would say he name. And it struck her because yesterday, for the first time, he said his name instead of he name. Mm. And so these are like little things where you're just like, well, that could be a coincidence or like that. But I'm documenting all of these mm. things mm -hmm. because you know if it's indeed if it's if it's having an effect on his yeah. being able to to you know his cognitive. Uh, well, know, typically, and, when you see the processing disorders associated with being on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. you don't often see if you're doing nothing different and you just don't often see, Oh, well, suddenly the processing shifted. You do something different. Right. You catalog it and you're like, Oh, well, unless she's doing something different beyond that, but it sounds which like, she's, which be, she's not. So she's not. So that's yeah. a significant thing, especially heading into the autism one conference. I want to be able to share that as an option for folks too. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm yeah. trying to keep track and I'm trying to make sure that she keeps track. And, you know, regularly is, you know, telling me what's going on. She's noticing yeah. anything. I think this is a really good product. I mean, it's really yep. clean. And uh, folks, if you're getting a benefit, you measure Not everybody sees things. I know that. But uh, I think we're seeing some some real good responses in a lot of folks. So uh, and they keep, actually, keep you know what, they have they have another product that I think we may take a look at. And it's uh, it's a fulvic minerals. OK. And so that's something we may be taking a look at here um, soon as well. Okay. Okay. So um, let's real quick. I, I sent out a poll this morning, and every once in a while on the newsletter, I, I put a pretty good amount of time every day into the newsletter because I think it's important, and I actually enjoy doing it. And you guys uh, seem to be enjoying it as well. But I want to really make this thing, uh, you know, exactly what it is you guys want. And so every mm -hmm. once in a while, I'll put out a poll saying, what do you think about this? Would you like this? Would you like that? You know, what could we do different or something like that? 
And so this morning I put out there just on a whim. Actually, you know what? It may have been it may have been Charlotte's article that that mm -hmm. subconsciously prompted me to ask this question. Yeah. But I asked. Uh, would you like would to you see healthy recipes? Like to see healthy recipes in the newsletter? Just out of curiosity. And so um, you know, this is one of those things where I don't know that we need to have you guess, but I, I suppose we could just for fun. What yeah. do you think? Do you think the people that are getting the newsletter every day yeah. would would like to see an addition of healthy mm -hmm. recipes in the newsletter? Uh, you know, it, it's one of those things where like, who wouldn't want to see that? So I'm inclined to believe <laughs> that a vast majority of people say, yeah, I'd like to see that. I okay. think that, that's where I'd go with that one. So, yes, we had 73% of the people yeah. did say, yes, we would like to see healthy recipes in the newsletter. 13% said no. Yeah. Well, you've been overruled by the the seventy three percent, but you can always just ignore it, right? right. I mean, it's not exactly. like I'm forcing you to read the uh, the, the recipes. Thirteen percent were not sure. Well, okay, yeah. Um, we you we don't have, have to be, I guess. You know so, what? We but we here's here's the thing, real quick. I got okay. a I got a phone call from uh, someone that because you know I always encourage people to give us any feedback on on the stuff that's in the the, the newsletter and mm -hmm. so i did get a phone call from deb in arizona she made a very good point and i and i so appreciate the feedback i do because i wouldn't think of these things for me i would just be like hey here's a a, a, a healthy recipe yeah but deb called she says look you know i'm all for rsb approved recipes mm -hmm. but i don't eat anything unless mm -hmm. it's vegan Mm. and doesn't have olive oil in it. And I was mm. kind of like, okay. So, I mean, I looked, and apparently vegan oil-free food mm -hmm. is a thing. Now, I don't, quite un I don't quite understand why a vegan mm -hmm. would not want to eat olive oil. I, yeah. Last time I checked, an olive doesn't isn't an animal, but there, it's, it is a thing, vegan oil-free. Vegans in our audience would know that. I don't. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know, know that either. So I appreciate that. So now that I know that, and that mm -hmm. there are some people, and Deb is one of them, mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'm going to be conscious of that. That you know, right. it won't be just like here's the only recipe. Maybe I could put together here's, you know, a, a, just a, a healthy recipe, and then mm -hmm. there could be like a vegan recipe mm -hmm. or a keto recipe. Or, you know, I mean, well, I think I'd ask for some leeway there if you have a specific diet and not recipe doesn't fit your diet just pass it by right. Right. well eventually we might get to one of yours <laughs> so well we'll see we'll see what there. it is I, I i want to do but seems like healthy recipes are something people are interested in pat also emailed and was just like yay because you know pat is is a foodie got a, yeah she's a cook and, and and she has her own cooking show mm -hmm. uh so she's down with that idea as well so that's nice. something i'm going to start incorporating into the newsletter we had a, a, an email you forwarded to me from a, a listener, a viewer, uh, wanting to, and I think it was one of our patron supporters, uh, wanting me to guide them through the things I do in a day or like what are, you know, supplement wise, because it's all so confusing. And I, I thought this might be an opportunity where we can do something extra special too for the patron supporters first. That's going to be on Patreon. Yeah. yeah. I haven't forgotten so, about that. Yeah, so I could do a little video even up in the kitchen and talk to you about here's what I do when I first wake up. And I'm not saying everybody has to do what I do. That's never been my perspective other than cleaning up your act and my act like I did. Uh, but what supplements you need, some basics I think are almost universal at this point. But I can certainly show you. And look, if you, if you see how I'm achieving 
levels of fitness and health that I hadn't had, you could say rightly so, hey, maybe that's something that could help me. And it might. Uh, so for that purpose, I'm happy to do it. So that's something we'll work on. Now, my concern is we've been talking about off the air a bit is the YouTube which is seemingly the only video storage site that allows you to put something as a private unlisted video that people can access if you give them the URL. That's what we've done for our patron supporters. And is there well, another service like that? Here, here's the idea that I've come up with, and I just need to kind of just play this out and see if it'll if it, if it'll work. But mm -hmm. if I create an account mm -hmm. somewhere, mm -hmm. where's anywhere, and I figure out a way for people not to subscribe to the channel, yeah, then that in theory would be then that nobody else would be seeing it because they wouldn't know about it. They wouldn't know about it. Oh, I understand what you're saying. Okay. So that that is kind of what I'm thinking about at the moment. And I think I might try that. Because, you know, most people, when they get a YouTube account or whatever account or yeah. whatever, the, the whole they idea want, is you want people to watch it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you promote it. Well, if yeah. I, like, hide in the corner, mm -hmm. um, maybe, maybe that'll work. I don't know. Eventually, I know I could use something like Vimeo. But again, that you know, there's a there's a monthly uh, uh, cost involved. How how much is that cost? Because I don't even know. I don't know. I'd have to look and see uh, how much it is. It's probably not super significant. But right now, I know we're just you know, we got to think think a little bit before we start adding more more. Well, yeah, to the yeah. Show. And thank you all for those that, that can support us with a little bit each month. It, it makes a difference. With there's a lot of expenses behind the scenes to do this, and you know everybody's got them. So. If you're able to, we're grateful, grateful, grateful. Oh, and you know, you and along those lines, I know some people have had a problem with uh, wanting to to do Patreon because they take money out of your account every month and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And you've got other options. You can do an annual membership, mm -hmm. so it just happens one time for a year yeah. and it's over. Or, and I know this, we've run into this before, we've had people that are just like, listen, all I want to do is just make a donation. That's it. Mm -hmm. I, you know, how, how do I do that? Do I send you a check or whatever? Uh, we, we've got over on the website, let me show you mm -hmm. real quick here. You go to robertscottbell.com. There's the show notes right there. And if you look over here on the right hand side, there's the IGF uh, ad right there, the banner. Yeah. To get the Great. IGF one. There is mm -hmm. a donate button there. Okay. Yeah. So, you can do a one-time donation anytime like that. You too, can. Yeah. I mean, I, if that's what you feel inclined to do, I mean, it, it, it all goes to the same place. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that, that uh, goes a long way. So if you feel like you just want to do a one-time donation, you can click on that button there. You can use your credit card or use your PayPal mm -hmm. account or whatever. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you for that. That's wonderful. Now, uh, let me see in our chat room, who just posted some news, breaking news. Uh, is that Christy? Yeah. She says, U.S. Congresswoman Jackie Walorski and three others killed in oh, car yeah, crash. I saw that. Uh, U.S. Uh, Representative Jackie Walorski out of Indiana killed in a car crash on Wednesday. Local authorities and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy out of California confirmed she was 58. Um, I don't know what that was. It, it was a head-on collision. Oh, a northbound-southbound scenario. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. I got a Twitter notification on that one. I was, I'm not familiar with her, but. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. there you go. There's life it can be fleeting that's for sure well all right let's see anything else coming through use the rumble rsb show account more jay says here's the problem with that jay and and, and this is and i i attempted to do that but mm -hmm. the video what we're looking for the application mm -hmm. with that we're, we're trying to 
to, to you know do here is it's a video that nobody else can see that's private because on YouTube they give you this option of doing something that's called unlisted. Yeah. So you upload a video, you put all the stuff on there, but it's not it doesn't show up on your YouTube page. People can't search for it and find it. Mm-hmm. But anybody who has the link to it can watch it. Right. So you can give a link very, to those that yes. Very convenient. With Rumble mm-hmm. you can't do that. Yeah. It's either on your Rumble page or it's private, which means nobody can watch it. So mm-hmm. it's like, well that you know <laughs> help. That yeah. Help. So, so if anybody knows Odyssey, Odyssey, that's another video site as well. Yeah. I, I just don't know if anybody has that yet. So if anybody's run across it, let us know. I think if Michael Bolden recovers, he might have some insight into that. We haven't asked Bolden. He's been under the weather, so to speak, but on the mend. I saw he's yeah. eating soup. He's eating soup. Oh, that's now. right. He got, he got, uh, he got with, slammed with finally by the Omicron. Right. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah. That sucks. Just don't lose your sense of smell. You know, my wife is, has no, still has not gotten her sense of uh, taste and smell yet back. Seriously. Wow. Seriously. That's amazing. I can't imagine what that would be like. All that I time. Mean, still not happening. Yeah. It, it just makes eating no fun. Yeah. Did, did I ever send you any of the remedies, the homeopathics for that, that my buddy Neil put together for mm-hmm. her? I didn't realize that because maybe I can get, get some for her if she's oh, open okay. to taking it. Because that seems to help in some cases. All right. All right. Steve says, how about sending pictures of our gardens to y'all? Yes, we've asked you that. If you have garden pictures, we would love to highlight them. We've always been open to that. It's been a while since we've gotten anything. But it's been like a month or so. But Mm -hmm. yeah, if you've got pictures of your garden, if you've got pictures of you with your samples from uh, Nutritional Frontiers, if you have got pictures, I'm really uh, interested to see some pictures of people with the orange garden. Yeah, I want to see. If some you guys start pictures. sending in pictures of you holding your orange garden, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's, you, you buy it from the website, you buy it from Ace Hardware, whatever. It doesn't matter. It, but if you send in pictures of the orange guard, you and the orange guard, we'll we'll do a giveaway for the people that send those in. We'll have to get a few of them, but but we will. Um, we, I, I think it'd be a great idea. I'd love to see those. Let's see if I can. So that's your get- homework assignment. Get some orange guard. Take a picture. See if I can get this to you. All right, hold on. Robert, I was glad you that, a tomato. I, well, I was thinking, no, that didn't work. <laughs> How do I get this picture? I guess I just got to do a screen grab of it here because I've got. I want to show do? everybody this one. Uh, yeah, because you were mentioning an orange guard picture, and I was yeah. telling you how uh, I got a buddy of mine, uh, Scott Scherner, who's been on this show, a really great doctor and a farmer as well. He's got an amazing place. And let's see if I can pull this up real quick here. Boom. Okay, I screen grabbed it. Stand by, and done. And let me see if I can get it to you, and then you can show it. So we have one example of an orange guard. And Scott went into his local uh, Ace Hardware and bought it. And again, I said he went to the cash register lady and said, "Thank you for carrying this product." So he made a special emphasis to know that there's a non-toxic, safe way to deal with bugs. So uh, we can show our buddy Scott if you want here. And let me see what else we got here. A couple of pictures. Oh, okay. There it cool. is. Oh, there you go. There's my buddy Scott. And so uh, he's got some orange guard as well, and he's going to be utilizing it around the area in his house where every day they, you know, they add a little bit more for the compost, and they just can't get rid of these things. Yep. These fly, they, they, this is well, a great option. Thank you, Scott. There's a perfect example of what it is that I'm talking about. 
send in your pictures of you with your orange guard. Get the orange guard. It's it's very reasonably priced. Um, I mean, it'd be the, it's the same amount as if you went out and bought a, a you know a, a, a thing of raid or something. You know, I mean, it's it's yeah. it's 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 not more expensive, um, and it works really good, and it smells really good, and it's safe, and it can't hurt you. Send in your pictures. We'll do a giveaway of something. Yeah. Yep. Cool. All right. Any other questions, comments coming in before we wrap it up today? Tomorrow is a travel day, but we have Jonathan E. Mord, and it's a great discussion of public health and more. Um, but his article I mentioned, it will be referenced again. And, um, you know, more and more people are, are really when I when I published that statement I made about there's no such thing as public health, there's your health or there's nobody's. That didn't get a lot of play years ago when it, when that came out. People didn't really understand it. They would kind of fight against it. Now it's like getting just in on Twitter and on Facebook. You know, as, as that's a measure because a lot of times things don't catch fire. And I still don't know how to do it on Instagram to make things go, but it's there too. But yeah, I've noticed that a lot more people are sharing it and going, "Yeah, Amen. Yeah, brother, I got you. You were saying it." So I think people are finally getting word of the oxymoron or the legal fiction of public health and how dangerous it is actually to your individual health. So that's a, sw that's a switch. Uh, that's a difference I can see over the time. Steve Fraser says, where do you send the pictures of your gardens? You send that to me via email at askrsb at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. Askrsb at gmail.com. In the subject line, put garden pics. Yeah, just so that it doesn't get lost in in the wash with all the other emails I get, right? Um, and we will feature those on the show. So anyway, um, what else? What what else? Let's take just one quick look at. Uh, where's the calendar? Calendar. All right. So as you said, Emore tomorrow, probably an encore in the second hour. Uh, we got Todd Callender and Sam Anthony on Friday. Then you're going to be at the Nutritional Frontiers event. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hopefully I'll get some interviews with Tracy Straup and Judy Mikovits and stuff. Dude, That'll be and fun. Don't forget to do like there's a quick Facebook Live or Instagram. I always like forget that. to do that. I'm I'm not like a, a millennial that does that by like a natural extension of their own <laughs> DNA. Still, I have to like, oh, okay, I got to do it. All right, Let's see if I can pull that off. All right. Okay, well. Well, thank you to Ari Witten. I hope you all sign up and be part of that uh, live uh, event, as well as uh, thanks to Ty Bollinger for joining us. Uh, hadn't seen him in a while. It's going to be fun to connect again. And uh, we'll set, technically see you tomorrow. Again, it's a great hour-long discussion with Jonathan E. Moore. As great as it gets, I really enjoyed thoroughly to be able to go through the public health thing. And uh, then Friday, back live not in studio but in a hotel maybe i'll be on a couch again chilling out like i did at that last hotel we'll see that's what happens right. between two ferns right between two ferns that's <laughs> great so thank you all for sharing the show thank you for your direct and indirect support our next ama i think we've decided it's going to be the let's see 20 do i still have the seventh saturday the 27th. 27th yes yeah and uh looking forward to that we have a good time on zoom so if you want to take part in that just become a patron supporter as well so thanks y'all for being here I will, and we'll see you less than 22 hours from now. Some of you, most of you. <laughs>